everybody. Episode 154, Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast. Today, special guest, Ed Cowan. Legend from the Northeast, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania angler. Fished two Bassmaster Classics, won a Bass Nation National Championship. Lots of cool stories about old school invitationals, drawing out KVD in tournaments, fishing with Brian Kirchel, and a whole lot more. I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. This week, the Hell of Ass Bass Fishing Podcast is brought to you by Arsenal Fishing. Arsenal Fishing offers premium custom-made performance apparel and tackle. Arsenal delivers a wide variety of custom-designed baits, accessories, and tools, along with unique utilitarian apparel for all outdoor enthusiasts. As part of their support, you can use code HELLABASS15 to save 15% on all purchases at arsenalfishing.com to support the show. Now let's get back to helping you catch more bass and suck less. What's up, everybody? A couple minutes late, running on, I guess we call this Debo time. Uh, but uh, excited to have Ed Cowan on tonight to talk uh, what I labeled old school bass fishing. Uh, Ed's probably forgot more about bass fishing than most of us know. What's up, Ed? How are you? Oh, good. How are you doing tonight? Great. Um, yep. Interesting, that picture that you used for the promo, that was um, my 1988 374 V Ranger I bought new from Greens, and uh, that's the boat I owned when I made uh, my first classic, of course, at the you know national championships. And the classic they supplied the boats back then, which is you know was great. And uh, mm-hmm. I sold that boat to Kota Kuriyama, and he made his first classic out of that same boat. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, so tonight's stream, as always, is uh, presented by Arsenal Fishing and boosted by Powerhouse Lithium. So I want to just shout out to them as we start the show. I guess, uh, Ed, I've been meaning to have you on uh, for a while, kind of uh, <clears throat> like as a as a fan of the sport and somebody that appreciates the history. And it's always, you know, it's always like trendy to have on like the latest Elite Series winners and, you know, but like you have a lot of history with the sport. And I think this is, I like to like mix it up. And I think this is a great opportunity to unpack some things and, and learn some stories because I think you have a lot of webs that touch a lot of other parts of the the sport. And I think it's going to be cool to, to walk down some of those stories tonight. Oh yeah. I, well, I first, you know, started watching you cause I know uh, you've uh, made several of the Federation championships and came pretty close a few times. And I'm always keep up with what's going on with the Federation, even though I don't really uh, try to make the classic that way anymore. Sure. Yeah, well, and now it's the the Bass Nation, but it's hard not to yeah, call it the Federation when you're yeah. when you grew up with the Federation. I was actually there. I made a, the last national championship I fished was the last one before the split. Okay. So cool. It was. Um. So I guess yeah, I, I know you made two classics, right? Uh, one in the '90s and one in maybe like two th- the Pittsburgh Classic, which was about '05, something like that. Yeah. Well, interesting. Um, I made it, the first one in 1991. I won the national championship on Smith Mountain Lake in Virginia, and then the second one I made in 2005. I won the um, it was on the uh, Kissimmee chain. It was okay. actually a four day event. I don't know if the, any of the other ones were four day events because hmm. we fished eliminations two days on um, the Kissimmee chain and two days on Disney at Hmm. Disney world. And um, so I fished the, uh, that 
Pittsburgh Classic was the lowest winning weight classic that there ever was. I also fished the um, Harris Chain BASS Invitational in 1991, which is the worst hmm. tournament bass ever had as an invitational. And the tournament before the, that invitational was on the Illinois River, and that was the worst one until they broke the record at the Harris Chain. So I've been at the Bass's three lowest weight events. Nice. And that, was that out of Peoria? <clears throat> yeah, out of Peoria. Yeah, my uh, <clears throat> the very first time, the very first time I ever made a northern regional divisional, when I was like nineteen or twenty, uh, was on, out of Peoria, <clears throat> and that was a rude awakening coming from Minnesota to go to the Peoria River. And uh, so we had Ontario in the northern division at that time, so we had one hundred eight anglers, and <clears throat> I think I weighed in three days. The full field fished all three days back then, and I weighed one fourteen ounce bass, and that put me in like seventy third. Oh gee, I did fairly like, well. <laughs> I did fairly like, well there. I came in the nineteenth, I think. Yeah, in the tournament I was in, this was like it was probably like an August or September, so late summer, early fall. Yeah, terrible time to fish. Um, <clears throat> and I think thirty some anglers blanked on a twelve inch minimum across three days. So there were thirty guys, and these are all guys that you know. I mean, like you make it to regionals for the most part, you kind of got a clue to some degree right so these guys could not catch you know 30 anglers did not catch a 12 inch fish in three days of competition oh yeah um that's well, tough at that pittsburgh classic my 15 ounces was better than hackney or jay ellis did yeah nice <laughs> um but yeah i think the only the only there was only a few limits caught in that illinois river tournament and the guy that won it was shad shank out of indiana yep. he had a jet boat and he like walked a mud flat to figure out how to get back in this one little clear pocket with a beaver dam and basically him and his co-angler every three day every day made it because they the, the weight they get one day fishing with him was enough to propel them for three days wow yeah that's um, can be challenge challenging yeah I, i'm surprised like um they were making a big deal this past week how bad the sabine was that's actually pretty good <laughs> Yeah, like that. I mean, yeah, the size wasn't great, but the numbers and that kind of stuff. I mean, like, I mean, I would say 80, 90% of the guys were bringing in limits. So oh, yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. Um, so unpack a little bit. Like, so you, I think you, you used to live in Jersey or where do um, you live now? I live in uh, Northeast Pennsylvania, right? I'm actually almost every day in Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania because I live, I work at, uh, the, the town that borders um i live real close where the three states come together sure okay uh, on lunch i actually go down and fish on the delaware river out of tri-state park where they have the monument that has the three states coming together so i can stand in one spot and fish in pennsylvania new jersey and new york all at once <laughs> that's pretty cool <clears throat> so uh and so that considered like that, that part of Jersey is that considered like lower or upper Jersey or what is what do they consider that'd that? be North Jersey um North Jersey yeah just up just right there's where High Point is High Point Stokes Forest State Forest in Jersey's High Point State Park is the highest point in New Jersey it's eighteen hundred feet and uh, it's actually the most has the densest bear population of any state park in the lowest 40, lower forty eight. The number of bear we have around this area is pretty incredible. <laughs> it's kind of common to see black bear. 
Yeah, but I, I lived in New York prior to that. And um, I, the first time I went to the Classic, I qualified through the New York Federation. And the second time was through the New Jersey Federation. Because New York Federation was basically based in upstate New York. And even though people in New York City think everything above the city's upstate. Right. <laughs> which is pretty funny. Um, and so, you know, New Jersey, when I lived in New York, my basic home water was uh, Greenwood Lake, which is half in Jersey and half in New York. And I was, uh, I made my first few um, national championships uh, in a bunch of state teams out of New York. And uh, I was at the, um, oh, I think the 94 national championship when Brian Kershaw won. And, uh, okay. and the president of New Jersey Federation talked me into come fishing with Jersey. If, you know, I'd been fishing a couple Jersey Fed tournaments I, anyway, and I actually knew a lot of more of the Jersey guys. There was a, and then Pennsylvania, the state I live in now, with the Federation Nation and even the old Federation, they're broken up to, to like seven districts. So Jersey and New York were both had better programs all along. So I never really did Pennsylvania. Yeah. So. Yeah, very cool. Uh, for people that want to ask questions, a new thing I want to try, I picked this up, listen to somebody else, but like if you want to start your chat with like question and then put it in, then it's easier for me to kind of just peek when questions are coming in. Um, so just for perspective, like how many, I don't know if you know exactly, like how many Federation regional teams did you make and how many national championships did you make? Uh, I made, I fished 19 of the divisionals and I made seven of the national championships and two classics wow. and uh, um and uh, that bush shootout they had that bush shootout for a little while where they um had yeah, like a classic you did well in that too, didn't you? yeah i finished second yeah and uh and the thing was it was supposed to be a mystery lake and um so i go to newark airport in new jersey and all i have is a confirmation number hmm. this is in 2005 so it's not that long after 9 11 and I, you know, I go up to the ticket agent or whatever, and she asked, you know, where am I going? And I said, I don't know. I thought Homeland Security was going to, you know, waterboard me in the back or something. Especially up in that, like, I mean, right, <laughs> oh, you're yeah. like uh, epicenter of like 9-11, oh. right? Like these other guys that are flying from like Alabama and like they're like, but yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, you know, Newark Airport's like, you know, 10 miles from uh from the trade centers and all. I mean, the guys I worked with and stuff saw were working a job in Jersey when that happened and saw it, you know, going down and all that. Sure. Uh, it was, uh, cause I was working construction in New Jersey at the time mm -hmm. that that happened. But, but then, you know, so this, she's looked all nervous and said, listen, I won this fishing trip and it's to a mystery location. And, you know, I gave her the number and it was it all went good. And then, um, it was on uh, Table Rock, and here I'm fishing against Kevin Van Dam and Hackney and um, Swindle on this. Everybody that was going was going, thought it was going to be on some, you know, pet and shoot, like one of these plantations or something. Sure. And they go to where they had a tournament eight months before. And I'd, I had to uh, 
get somebody to show me on the map where we were, where we started, because this is back before GPS. I bought them. I picked up the map when they took us to Bass Pro Shop, and I took it to Scott Rook, and I said, listen, just tell me where we are <laughs> so I know how to look at this map, you know? And so I was motivated to, to outfish them since uh, – <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's too fair. But. Like, then they give you like a gift card, and then like you have yeah, to go shop you card Bass Pro, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was and so you qualified by catching the biggest bag at the Bass Nation or the Federation Championship? Is that? Yeah, the- yeah. I caught the biggest bag the second day at um, the, the Federation National Championship. I had a little over twenty pounds. Nice. But, well, I got some work to do. I got like I probably only got half that many regionals and half and only three national championships. So. Maybe there's still hope that I can put up similar stats, Ed. Well, there's a few guys. You know Greg Alexander? You probably mm-hmm. run across him in your travels. He has uh, Alexander the or Alexander the Greg show, which I'm surprised he doesn't have very many subscribers. Pretty good show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he's been to thir- like 30 or 29 or something teams and 9 or 10 national championships. Yeah, is he from the like northeast there? Yeah, he's from um like Maryland or yeah, I think I believe Maryland. That's the other another thing about being in northeast the northeast division. We had like thirteen states. We go from Maine to Maryland out to West you know West Virginia. So uh, those divisional teams traveled around. And even I guess Virginia was in our division too. We had uh, one of those divisionals on the Ohio River. Um, it was, uh, well, I fished New York. I made the, the national championship in 91, 92 and 94. Hmm. Cause most of the New York guys, they're good fishermen, but they're all from upstate New York and they'd send us someplace that the fishing was a, wasn't very good. It was a grind and you, you were and a better they, grinder than they were. You know, mm-hmm. I basically was fishing in like New Jersey, you know? right? <laughs> so, but then I, I switched these guys talk, you know, um, Tony going was a Jersey president convinced me to come over to New Jersey. And I didn't, I took angle of the year a couple of times for this, but it was, uh, till 2000, that I made the national again. And it was on the divisional was on the Ohio river. Hmm. And that's the only divisional team I ever prefished for. Cause we'll talk about more later. Some of the, some, I don't prefish a lot. I've always, worked you know full-time job right. fished on the weekend and i got pretty good at not pre-fishing which helped me a lot and then that bush shootout thing because uh mm-hmm. i'm accustomed to just going out blind fishing so i pre-fished for the ohio river the first day i had like four and a half pounds put me in i think second place and the second day i caught like three and a half pounds the two and a half pounder i caught was lunker <laughs> and it moved me to the lead the third day I zeroed, I finished fourth overall if I made the national championship. So that's uh, in that tournament, I got one with 10, a little over 10 pounds out of, the, out of the Ohio River in West Virginia. Yeah, my the first time I ever made the national championship was actually on a pretty a decent lake. It was Lake Monroe in Indiana. Yeah. And practice was actually pretty good for some people. Like and my practice was good. But we had a lot of like wind and clouds and rain, and this was like in August, so there was like a lot of fronts moving through during practice. And like the Tuesday night before we got there, some guy won an evening tournament with like twenty-seven pounds, like oh, just blasted them. But tournament comes like literally right. So we practice whatever Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or 
Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, right? Then Wednesday, yeah. Thursday, Friday tournament. <clears throat> and it basically flattened out bluebird skies. Not a, not a, you couldn't find a cloud, a wisp of nothing, zero wind. And those fish clamped up big time. Like, I think I caught seven fish in three days for like 14 pounds and took like top five and moved on from Minnesota. Cool. Not a single person caught a limit. Not even the 12 guys from Indiana, any of them could catch a limit any day. Wow. So, was, I mean, like, <clears throat> they had a couple of those national championships on the Mississippi River mm-hmm. someplace. And uh, the same guy from New Jersey, who was uh, Rich Snidewright, which, um, you know, Pete Glusek from Bass University. Yeah. Basically, his mentor, the guy taught him how to fish, made two national championships. Both of them were on the Mississippi River. And the fish was so bad, he never caught a fish. <laughs> the two but he traps. just won like a coin flip. Or... Oh, well, I mean, a, f- a few fish got caught in it, but oh. there were the ones that with terrible weights. But sure. this Rich Snidewright got to the national twice, didn't catch a fish either time. And he's as good as anybody around here. Sure. He was mis- had the misfortune of going to the, the worst place they ever went twice. It was, it was 10 pounds for the whole tournament, not just per day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 10 pounds for the whole tournament. Yeah, but... um. The, the it's changed a lot. I don't know if everybody knows like the formats changed. Like in um, right. like the first state team I ever went for went to was I think it was in '84. It was one Danny Korea qualified for the classic. Now back then it was an eight man team, and the top finisher on the winning team went from the divisional right to the classic. Oh wow! Yeah, so that's that's how. There now was the no bear- national. Nope, no national. The first national, I'm not sure. Bass doesn't have like real good records of it. They know it's hard to research. The so, first one was either 89 or 90. So, but you, the, the winner from the regional, not the winner of like the state team, right? Like the, if you won uh, the, the regional. The, the guy with the most weight on a winning team. Didn't matter what place. Okay, the winning team, top guy. So you could be okay. like. You could be third, fourth, whatever. Yeah, yeah. you could be top five that. or ten, but yeah, okay, yeah. all right, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, because I um, so the in 1990 at the Connecticut River, the New York team won, and I was the top guy in New York, but they had national championship at that point. Sure. Well, I didn't fit. I didn't win that tournament as an individual. I was third, or I don't even remember exactly, but. I, Qualify for that as the top guy in each team go. So and and, uh, and that's but when I got I don't know when they. So like my first regional was like ninety nine or two thousand or that was that Illinois River one and at that time it was a twelve man team six boaters yeah. six co anglers and it was still a draw format so you yep. you get even as a non boater you would get your four hours <clears throat> and uh, yeah and at that time it was the top person from the team every team sent one to national so you just had yeah. To, if that's how it was every the one. payouts were on a team so you could win a boat or a good i mean most of the time it was a boat back then or a cash prize the team would split it but then only the winner of the team would go on so every basically it works out that every state gets one qualifier in the national championship yeah yeah, yeah. now what people it's been so long since there's been draw tournaments that guys don't realize that about a brian kershaw road in both the divisionals that he made the classic, made the national championships off of. He he never fished as a boater in at the divisionals, 
or the invitationals he fished until after he won that classic. Mm-hmm. He he had he had a boat, but it was junk. <laughs> he right. wouldn't subject anybody to taking this thing. So he rode it. The two divisionals he made, he was a he was a, a non-boater, but it was a draw tournament. So right. he, he was titled half his time, and he made both the times he made the state team. He made the national championship, and he made the classic. He made the classic in '93 and '94. Yeah, and he went from I think '93 he finished dead last, right in the classic, yeah. and the '94 he won it. Yeah, well, dead last is like if you're not going to win the classic, you want right, to finish but I mean, dead last. It still makes it. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a legendary story, but that he only even adds to it more than yeah, right. But I mean, if you look at the classic history, Clun finished dead last, Brower finished dead last, right? A lot of the guy, a lot of the winners finished dead last in past classics, so mm-hmm. it's probably a good place to finish if you're not first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like literally, like twenty sixth, right through. 50th pays 10,000, whether you, I mean, well, it was 3,000, 3,000, but now it's 10,000. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was eight when I, I fished that up. Well, the first time in 91, I finished 13. So I won a little bit more. And then uh, I was, I don't know at Pittsburgh, I caught a fish and about eight guys didn't. So yeah, you were in the mid forties or something like that. Yeah. So place in the forties. And, but, uh, and they didn't cut the fields way back. And like in 91, my, um, the, your press guy could fish. And uh, everybody fished all three days. Yep. And, uh, you know, the, all the – well, both of them I made and all the championships – all the uh, showcase tournaments I fished were with the identical boats. So – so, yeah, uh, they kind of went away from provided boats at the classic around when the Elite Series started. I think it was. Um, I think they still did in two thousand five, but I'm pretty sure. I have a friend, uh, Chris Loftus, who made the classic through the Federation in two thousand eight, and he had to get his boat approved. So, sometime after two thousand five and before two thousand eight, they started using their own boats. And Chris Loft is an interesting character. He uh he basically made the classic and stopped tournament fishing. <laughs> that that happened happens more than you think. Because <clears throat> I feel like there was a guy that my first year making national was the Watchtower River in 2014. Yeah. I think I may have sat next to that Greg Alexander because I talked to a guy from the Northeast that had made like 10 national championships at that point. <laughs> yeah, uh, that might be him. <laughs> and he sat with his wife and she's like, oh, he, you know, he always had, you know, and never quite works out or whatever. Yeah. But <clears throat> the year before that was also on the Watchtower River. And there was a guy from the Northeast, can't remember his name, who finished top three, made the classic and the elite. And it might even fish. I don't know if you remember fish, but like you see a lot of guys, especially with the Bass Nation, they make that classic and then they kind of burn out. Like it's like there's so much maybe pressure to back it up. And it just like consumes them. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't... Oh, Chris. Chris is a chemical engineer, and he he said he had no intention of being a bass pro. He just wanted to prove to himself he was good enough to to make it. And once he reached his goal, he had no reason to uh, pursue it any further. That's kind of like I was um, initially like in the late '80s. I thought I wanted to fish professionally, and I, you know, figured to 
the, going through the Federation at that time was a good route to get started. They had that Wrangler, uh, you know, sponsorship deal. They yep. only had they, they only had six tournaments a year. Three of them would be in the fall. Three would be in the spring. So you could do it on paid vacation if you had, or you know, you get away with holding down a job and fishing the the national circuit. Fabian so, Rodriguez was the guy I was trying to think of. Oh yeah, Fabian. I know him too. From Delaware. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, he was on the elites for a little while. Yeah. So I think he like, but he like, I mean, yeah. like many he's, other. He's fishing the, the divisional nope. or whatever it is right now. Okay. Maybe still around. Like today. I just haven't yeah. heard from him in a while. Because I looked down the list, you know, from the results on the Potomac River from the Federation today, and I was surprised how many guys that were at past national championships and divisionals that were on that list hmm. still these guys that are still fishing. When was, when was the last time that you fished the nation or the federation basically when the split well i'm still in a, i'm in a club you know and i made a, a state team in 2011 okay but uh but but basically i traveled on like after making the classic in 91 i started fishing the invitationals and i uh-huh. did that for a couple of years and um i traveled with uh uh, Artie Applebaum, Brian Kershaw, and um, Dave Barnes Sr. from Maine hmm. when we were doing that. And, um, you, you know, and then I, I, I dropped – I had to uh, choose between um, – I was in 29th place in the, uh, in the standings for the uh, classic standings with two tournaments left for the year, and I – had to choose between keeping my job and going to the next tournament. So I didn't go to the next tournament. <laughs> and I, I started the next year after that too. But then after, um, after, you know, the accident with Brian, I really was, I kept, I wanted the Brian Kershaw trophy. Sure. So I'm at 2005 when I made the classic, I was really pretty indifferent about actually qualifying for the classic. I just wanted to win the national championship. Of course, because I missed uh, making the classic by two ounces in uh, two thousand. I wanted, the, hmm. but you know that one. I wanted the Brian Kershaw Trophy. Sure, so, that's cool. so after and I, I guess, how did you? I mean, you make your goals, and you. <laughs> for those who don't know, I guess uh, Brian Kershaw, only Nation Federation angler to ever win the classic. Yeah. And what year was that again, Ed? Ninety four. Ninety four, and I think it was. Yeah. In- Kerr? Is that on Kerr? Um, Balls oh Lake? Or I should know that. <laughs> High Point? or High somewhere Point. In the, it was High, High Point. Point. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so, I mean, now the trophies, the, the, the Brian Kirchhoff Memorial Trophy. Yeah. So when did you first, what year did you meet Brian and how did you get to know him? I, I, 93. I mean, after you qualified for his first classic, uh, you know, we, I'm only... Uh, Candlewood Lake's the the place in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. You, know, you might have heard of Candlewood Lake because it's a makes bass top 100 list every year. Paul Mueller guides there, um, and uh, and I it's 100 miles from me. Candlewood sure. Lake. And actually, I lived in New York at the time, so it was only 50 miles from me. And uh, after he made the classic, it, the, as a Federation angler, I wanted to meet him, invite him to go fishing. The first time. 
he, and he was young. Like the first, I mean, he was eight years younger than me. I guess I was probably 33 at the time in, in 93 and he was uh, like 23 or so. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wanted to meet this kid. I invited him to go fishing. I figured I'd, I impressed him, took him to a lake. I really knew. And, and I couldn't catch any fish. <laughs> it was, I took him out to pre-fish for a federation tournament. And, um, and he was like so positive and we, Oh, this place is, we go to a spot. It's like, Oh, this they're here. They're here. They're here. And then after we practiced the day, he told me what he would do. He said, I'd start right there. I started there. I caught 15 pounds in the first hour <laughs> and ended up winning the tournament. And so I, he just had a natural talent because he really didn't know much about fishing. He had taught himself how to fish. He was in the club, but he's like pretty shy and quiet. He was basically just learning how, how to tournament fish when he made the first classic. It's just all because I, I fished um, those tournaments in the early 90s were draw tournaments. Yep. I, I fished with Kevin Van Dam. I fished with. At one point, I'd fished with six of the top ten money winners uh, on the bass circuit, and only three guys really had something different. Something they just like. You can fish with Shaw Grigsby. Shaw Grigsby is super guy and uh, super fisherman, but he's not Kevin Van Dam. And when you fish with Kevin Van Dam, you know that there's something different about him than Ron Sheffield, Shaw Grigsby. You know, some of these other guys I'd fish with. Another one, George Cochran. Yep. The third guy is Brian Kershaw. These these guys just have something that great fishermen don't have. They have that X factor that's, I mean, you know, Brian would have really been a superstar, I'm sure. He just, like, well, you kind of say, like, he's fishy, right? Like, he just he well, has the. <clears throat> yeah, he just, they're all three of them, they're just so aware of what they're more aware of what's happening on the end of your line than you are. Sure. I took, I took, um, on another lake I knew I went with Brian one time fishing. I went, we fished the weekend before he won the classic. So, uh, when we were fishing Lake Apacon and there was this stretch of bank and there was a, you just caught fish. You go, you fish the milfoil and right there you catch fish right in front of you get right in front of that tree and there'd be fish and we're flipping along there and, fishing along there and he's, he's asking what's there and I'm hemming and hawing because I don't know. It's just, you catch fish right there. He flips in there and he says, Oh, it just got deeper. And I went back and checked. We were uh, like 12 feet of water and right there it gets six inches deeper. And he right. took one, one pitch with a, you know, with a worm and he knew with that. a lead weight on on a not very good graphite rod back in the day. Right. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. He didn't have, you know, he that was before he went to classic. He didn't have good equipment. <laughs> he just knew. And when he, and when he was, he was really, you know, that's kind of finesse pitching is what his biggest strength sure. was. That's how he won the national championship. That's how he won the classic. If, a culprit on a lightweight, right? Yeah. If if he could make that work, you couldn't beat him. <laughs> Nobody could beat him. And that. Okay, so Brian's classic. So he, I don't know, some people are familiar, some are not. Um, he basically caught the fish uh, pitching a worm around docks. Okay. And a high, that high point lake, um, 
David Fritz had won the year before. Okay. And uh, and that was like David Fritz's home lake. So I asked Brian after, it's like, you ever see Fritz during tournaments? It's like, oh, sure. He was fishing right off the bank of in front of me. And uh, a lot of times, you know, we complicate fish a lot. But when fish live in an area, he, you know, he's, he was fishing for the same fish that um, Fritz was hoping to be fishing for. Fritz's fish just moved up on the bank. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's not that complicated. Fish, yeah. That's, I don't know. I was going to work that in the conversation someplace. <laughs> yeah, no. So <laughs> no, he was asking, like, is it true that he kind of drifted off and napped in practice and floated into the bay that he won the class again? Um. I know he found that plastic worm. Yeah, I heard that. Like, where he found? No, the... he, he didn't really. He didn't find the fish. He he took a nap, and uh, when he woke up, he found that bait. Yeah, you know, he, the area he'd. Uh, and then he was looking around the docks, boat. and there was a red culprit worm floating or on yeah. the dock or something. He's like, "Well, but he'd often catch him on here, so I'm going to use that bait, right?" Like, yeah, he'd often win tournament like the national championship. I think he won on a jig basically doing the same thing around cypress trees. He was a, but he just had a natural talent. He just knew like where fish were. I mean, he could, he had good instincts and he trusted his instincts. You know, it's a, we miss him. Yeah. It's cool. I mean, like, right. And I guess the people that don't, which even adds to it, right. He basically won the classic. He was fishing the invitationals the next year, right? Yeah, um, yeah he um it was funny, all the season between making the first and second classic, I was trying to get Ranger Boat, Ranger's boat to yeah, I, I was sponsored by them and I'm trying to get the salesman. It's like you, you gotta put this kid in the boat, you gotta put this kid in the boat. And uh and the salesman, all that he had long hair and he was young. He says, Oh, that pot smoking hippie. I'm not giving him a boat. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, this Frank Geiner from Connecticut, that I used to fish team turn. I fished the team turners with the time had Skeeter like sold on this kid. And, and, but he wanted a ranger and he wouldn't take the Skeeter and the season of the invitationals 93 to 94. He was, um, you know, towing this junk old ranger he had, to the tournaments and riding every day because he wouldn't make anybody go in this wreck of a boat. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, he had, he got the, um, that boat, he got a boat from Ranger after he, um, won the classic and, uh, fished one more invitational on Lanier and George and came into money. And then he, uh, was went off on some promotional. Right. Things. Flying to a, a speaking event or something that he had because yeah. he won the classic, right? And yeah, and he's coming home for Christmas. He didn't make it home. Yeah, plane crash. Yeah, it was one of them. And uh, there were sur some survivors. That was one of the longest days of my life. You know, waiting to trying to see what was going on. Hmm. Our survivors were immediately adjacent to him in seats. In fact, crazy. Um, and uh, Chris Mann, his uh, best friend, um, has the boat still. Wow, and stuff. He, they had Arkland Bass. He made state team or something with the boat one year. It might even been national. I'm, I don't remember exactly. We always told Chris he was too smart to catch a fish. He's 
Chris Mann's a pretty smart guy. He's a, a fisheries biologist, but he struggles when it comes to tournament fishing. <laughs> I think, think you got it. The in instinct more means a lot in fishing. <laughs> yeah, people. Yeah. Yeah, and he had that. <clears throat> I don't. I don't know. Did he? Did he start the whistle in the 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 classic that he won, or did he? Have, was that yeah, yeah. Somebody had, somebody had given that give given him that whistle, and uh, you know, as a luck, good luck, and he just you know he blew it after um. He caught fish. Yeah. yeah, and and the coolest thing ever is, is, is Brandon Polinick when he made it through the federation, he finished. I think I believe third, and he was blowing that whistle. Yeah. So uh, I will always respect Brandon Polinick for that. He's, he's, I'm sure he's, uh, he probably has the KVD factor. <laughs> I've never, I've never fished with him. Um, so anyway, so when we went to the 94 national championship on, um, on the Arkansas river, uh, Brian and, um, and, his roommate Dave Barnes both both made the national championship, and it was the week after a uh, an invitational. Some I forget where the invitational was because with the work stuff, I fished the national championship instead of the invitational. I dropped. Uh, that's another season I didn't fish the full season. I couldn't get the time in the national championship. I figured was a better thing than the. Uh, than an individual invitational. And um, so uh, I finished sixth in that tournament. <laughs> I was the, and that was the only national championship I ever fished that, you know, at the time they were taking one guy from each of the five divisions and first, second, third, fourth, and fifth were all different divisions. Hmm. And, and uh, so when Brian won, it's like, listen, you just beat me. I was second division. You better win the classic now. So, and then we're all car. Um, we're all, uh, caravan and back uh dave's got a, his boat brian has his boat uh, his junk boat behind his junk pickup truck and i i just have my uh my truck because mm -hmm. you know and, and um coming through the uh construction and um i think i was i was getting pretty close to home i was out in front of everybody we all had cbs back then and uh we're coming through the construction and uh scranton and Barnes gets on the radio and says, Hammerhead just lost his bumper. <laughs> so, so I had to um, I turned around and, uh, you know, Brian was pulling his boat with just a bumper hitch on the old pickup truck. And he, the one side of the bumper broke. <laughs> so I had to, after he beat me out of going to the Classic there, I dragged his boat to my house. <laughs> so he, we put the bumper in the bed of his truck. You know, when he drove on home, got a, uh, a, um, receiver hitch you know to come back and pick the boat i go out to his boat one one day before he picked it up and i touch something and it falls off <laughs> so uh because he wasn't real mechanical so uh he came over and we spent the day you know putting hatches back on and just fixing his boat you know that's crazy <laughs> some of those stories kind of remind me of like maddie's story a little bit maddie Wong oh, yeah. a little bit yeah yeah but it's amazing me maddie Made made it to the classic. He had to fish the national championship out of that uh, thirty year old oh, boat of his. I, uh, yeah, I'm not jealous of that. That's uh, that's another reason I'm not too uh, amped up about going pursuing it. It was like, I mean, 
what a thing those national championships were when they they were the classic for the federation. Yeah, 2013 was the last year that the boats were provided. Did you get to uh, fish any of them? No, I fished the next year. Oh, <laughs> that's a shame. Which is which is funny because the year so 2000 the 2013 regionals our state tournament was on Minnetonka and I caught the fish to finish second in our state tournament, which would have sent me to somewhere in Iowa for a regional. Um, But I tweeted or Facebooked updated like during the tournament. Oh, like social media was kind of, and I got DQ'd for using my phone in our non-emergency situation. Oh no. (laughs) So and then Andy Nichols, who's a friend of mine, moved on from Iowa to go to the, the Watchtower River in 2013. So, I mean, like, no guarantees I would have made it, but, like, I, I should have been in that regional at least to get to that. Um, just kind of stupid. Um, but I think part of it was that Watchtower River was really hard on equipment. So I think a lot of those that, – that, that year was Skeeter. So there was a lot of Skeeter Yamahas that got really wrecked, you know, oh, 50 yeah. – 53, 54 guys running around the Watchtower River, which has very little mapping now. I mean, I just fished it again in the year Maddie one was at 20. Uh, And it still doesn't have good mapping. And so can you imagine what it was like in 2013 when we, I mean, like graphs came a long ways in that eight, 10 years um, and mapping. So it's like, I'm, you know, I don't know how many fiberglass repairs and lower units probably got wiped out. And so I was like, I'm, that probably was the, the straw that broke the camel's back of like, this is, you know, not working. Um, But I would say that besides the provided boats, I finished in 14, 19, and 20. And I still, and that was, those are all three John Stewart. um, Very much still felt like mini classics. We had the boatyard. We were put up in hotels. They fed us. They gassed up our boats. We had a service crew, like, Outside of the provided boats, I think they very much were a miniature version of the classic. Now, this is the last year of, you know, 50 guys fishing the national championship. And I, and I talked to some guys, like I talked to Maddie, and he said even last year at Pickwick, without John Stewart, the vibe was already starting to, like, change for sure. Yeah, yeah. It was probably a lot like it was at the 2006, knowing that the, you know, the Federation the split. split. Yeah. yeah. And, um... Well, things have changed with that a lot, too. Uh, like when I went back, I, I won in 91 and went back in 92. That wasn't an automatic berth. Mm-hmm. The, the early ones, I requalified. I, you know, made it in 92. Now, the 2006, the last one I fished, fished was the first time. I think it was the first that they had the guys defending their championship, maybe. I'm, yeah, I, I know. I know. I, yeah, I guess all the ones I <clears throat> fished had defending champions. Yeah. And actually, yeah. in 2019 on Pickwick, guy from out west, just he was he was he had a really bad first day, but then he came back and had a big bag second day, and he knocked me out by two ounces for making the day three cut. <clears throat> Yeah, the defending champ did. He's from Oregon. I can't remember his name. Um, but well, the cool thing when I went in 2006, I rode down with Bob Soley, uh, 
out of New Jersey, and he made yep. the classic through that. Bob Soley's an interesting guy. He um he was one of the group of guys that from the New Jersey area that went out on the circuit, started fishing the pro tournaments with Mike. You know, at the same time as Mike, they were all roomed together. And Soley fished one year on the Invitationals and made the classic in '99, and qualified for the, uh, I guess, his top 100 uh, at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't have the money to do it. He made it about halfway through his two, 2000 season. And then he went to the classic the second time as a Federation angler in 2006. And he, uh, he um, said it was the hard way to get there. <laughs> he found making it into classic as a pro is fairly easy. Mm. Was, uh, but it's you know, it's an expensive thing to do. I mean, it's a tough thing to do. It's a good hobby. But, you know, I, I still club fish. I mean, I've club fish since uh, the late seventies. Uh, right. You know, and uh, the first uh, I think I was in the first club in '76, and uh, in that club we had uh, a guy out of Terrytown, New York, that that nobody probably ever heard his name. Um, uh, Don Cachano, he made the classic as a pro in '84 and '85, and um, we uh, he would go fish all the pro tournaments, and we would and bring everything back to the club and. As far you know, probably got me on my first state team. The fact that he was in the club because the guys in my club would do really well because we knew what was going on because Don Cajano knew what was going on because he was fishing. It the the amount of information available now is just like it's astonishing. I think it's too much. I think it. I think some guys at like the club level and beginning level. I think they suffer from in, information overload. Sure. I think some of this, like, uh, there's a, a lot of talk these days about this live scope, which I don't have and pretty indifferent about, really. I, I don't see mm-hmm. the, I The same guys that would beat me by fishing uh, off the bank locally or, like, in my club, say that hasn't made them any better, hasn't made them any worse, you know. It's kind of if they're off the bank, there's certain guys, uh, certain guys are going to catch them structure fishing. There's certain guys going to catch them in shallow water at any given time. But, uh, but I think the, uh, the guys that are not successful are maybe less successful because they just, I have a friend in our, our club and he just, he goes to the Bass universities and, studies everything and has everything and it's just like he really doesn't know what he well and he can speak it right like like he could recite it and speak it and and sound right but like when it comes to applying it on the water it just goes out the window like it doesn't happen he could he could put his trolling motor down at the ramp with a spinner bait and stand on it until it's time to weigh in he would have more success yeah and uh, I'm a I'm a big believer in spinner baits myself. Nice, because um, you know history's important. History's valid. When they the very first classics, they get these guys that made the classic. They put them in an airplane and they limit their tackle to very little tackle, and they put them up in the air and then they tell them where they were going, and 
every place they went, the tournament got one with spinner bait. So if you don't think you can that work in your club tournament, I got news for you. <laughs> you know, I mean, so you, know, you like a spinner bait more than a chatter bait. I yeah, I do. I bait. I'm real basic. I. I, well, important thing the thing that I find helpful is to like keep track of what baits you've actually weighed in your fish. So let's say you know you fish ten tournaments over a year and you and you weighted forty fish, and mm-hmm. I want to know how many fish I caught on which baits. And most years I catch most of my fish on a jig because uh, at some point I realized that um, I wasn't going to be beat Rich Snidewright, that guy that went to the national championships and zeroed by uh by catching more fish than him because he weighed a limit of the fish. I in the late eighties or early nineties, thirty something years ago, I took the Federation, you know, um results and I yep. figured out how many fish a day the top the guys that finished in the top like 15, how many fish a day they were catching, what the average size of their fish was. And this Rich Snidewright was many times angle of the year for the state of New Jersey Bass, you know, Jersey Bass Federation, Pete's mentor. Um, he was catching a limit of the average size fish every day. So I realized if I was going, and I was catching almost a limit of the average size fish every day. It's like the only way I'm going to beat this guy is to catch bigger fish. So sure. I, um, you know, that's Ben Milliken. They make a big thing about him targeting big fish. I figured out you had to, you're only fishing for five fish. You can't be fooling around trying to, you know, get your limit before you call. You had to target bigger fish. And I started throwing a jig a lot more. So on my good years, I catch most of my fish on a jig. And uh, probably my second best fish bait's a spinner bait. And then uh, once you start getting, uh, I basically throw a spinner bait, a jig, a buzz bait, crankbait and a Senko and sometimes a bladed jig. But once I go past like those six baits, it's like, I'm not a diminishing returns at that point. Oh, diminishing returns. Yeah. You have to be able to catch them with spearbait or buzzbait and jig. That's, you know. And I think, don't you make a lot of your own buzzbaits and jigs and things like yeah. that? Well, I got a cool buzzbait here to show you. Let me I invented gonna... this thing. Um, basically that's a, uh, an eighth ounce buzz bait, and rather than a skirt, I take a, a standard tube and uh, and of course I have trouble stringing it on because I'm on this thing. <laughs> and voila, I got an eighth pound eighth ounce buzz bait that I can throw on a, a bait casting rod with 15 pound test or 40 pound braid. And uh, it'll go over anything. And the other thing really cool about it is if you stop it, it, it falls and, and shakes like a Senko. So when you miss a fish, or if you got a fish following or if you miss a fish, you just stop and he eats it. <laughs> so when did, when did you start throwing that tube buzzbait? Uh, we've been doing this for 30 years, but until I actually made a mold for it, I would take a Cavitron, pull the blade off, straighten it out, run the tube through the whole thing and put it all back together. So this, this was a lot easier than disassembling and reassembling 
sure. Yeah. They felt you really pissed if a pickerel chewed up your tube after you did that and you spent all that time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's for sure. Oh, because this is the best pickerel bait ever devised by man. I'll guarantee you that. Because uh, you do you what? switch up the tube colors? Is it like do you like green, white? The you... oh, green, white, black, any any color you want. <laughs> I um, I got. So you were doing this before everybody else started putting horny toads on their buzz bait. Oh yeah, and mostly initially just doing it so you could cast it on real because i um yeah eighth ounce buzz baits are real good especially in tidal water uh one of those bass tournaments got one on the potomac in like the 90s on a little cavatron and uh we figured a initially did it so we could cast with it just so i could cast with it but uh found out that it has more advantages as uh, i learned now you know, and I also make uh, made myself a mold for what everybody has. You know, right. a frog, a froggy one. But you did it so you could fish finesse buzz baits more effectively with with real, here. yeah, real tackle. Because <laughs> yeah. you're throw, you're throwing these finesse buzz baits into you know over to Milfoil Beds, Potomac yeah. River, or something, and catching four pound fish on your spinning rod. It, uh, it, and also, you know, 30 years ago, we had we were doing it with mono. Right. So you're trying to throw an actual skirted eighth ounce buzz bait. What can you throw it on? 10 pound test, maybe? Right. <laughs> Whereas talking... like now you could you could put it on 30 pound braid and yeah. In a, in a medium heavy spinning rod, you'd probably be okay now. But well, yeah, it's, it throws fine on a caster rod. Right? you'd be amazed how well it's that thing mm-hmm. casts. Also, I think these um the frog ones and with this tube, I think having the the plastic uh, rather than a skirt, the fish get it better. I don't know yeah. if it's the the suction of the fish sucking in allows it to get in their mouth better, or you have more confidence in letting the fish take it. Right. You know, I don't know if it's psychological that you hook more fish because you don't feel like you kind of set the hook that fast. Or if they actually get it better. I think they get it better. I think it's both. But, you know, we have all kinds of theories. They When they get fancy technology, they find out half our theories are wrong, you know. <laughs> the bottom line is if you can catch the fish, I'm happy. I also, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Also, uh, I make some weird jigs. This uh, isn't have the application because of the weed control anymore, but this is like a uh, a one-ounce jig, and it's an upperman-style head. If you can see that, it's real. It's, it's flat, and it's thin, so it goes through the milfoil especially well. You can punch with this thing. Um, that's one of the things we talked about. I was talking on Mike's um, podcast. He, when I was talking with Mike, he told me somebody told him punching was a uh, Invented in like '94, I won a federation tournament on Cayuga Lake punching milfoil with this thing in '88. So I know <laughs> that's not true. And Tom and and I didn't invent this. This guy in uh, I just uh, made a mold of it because I was running out. A guy in Jersey used to sell these way way back, and uh, no longer did. I also uh, I make my little swim jig, which. Uh, this is poured on an offset worm hook. So uh, 
I think is that round round rubber on that. Yeah, yeah, I use rubber on most all my stuff. Yep, that's just round rubber. And one of the cool things about like making your own baits is you can, um, you know, hook wise and stuff, you can um, put any size hook in any. Usually, hooks are related to the weight of a bait. See, I this I don't know if you can see those two. Okay, that one. Uh, which direction? Higher. Here, yeah. uh, oh, here. There you go. Let's see. Got... Yeah, the the one yeah. in your oh. left hand has a pretty small compact yeah. hook. Yeah, yeah. So you can make a compact jig or a bigger jig out of the same mold. It, you know, and uh, I don't know if uh, if I make I make some of this stuff there. Yeah. I'm I'm on uh, Instagram Ed Cowan five so yeah usually for my I'll, friends I'll sell I was just a few. about to say that like Ed Cowan five you can see he's got pictures of some of his molds and his tinkerings and his yeah I don't want to exactly, and, yeah. yeah I don't want to sell tons of them because I um you know you want to go fishing yeah yeah and uh, uh most of this stuff I got to pour one at a time because they're like uh, homemade molds uh, that's what. Oh, this is another thing that we've reproduced that I'm not trying to sell at all, but I didn't want to spend. This is the one you get a lot of talk about glide baits and swim baits. And this is yep. a, the one uh, I throw this a bit, a line through swim bait. And the main reason, um, the thing I like about it is uh, it skips real well, mm-hmm. which which is one of the big advantages to the toad on the freaking buzz baits that it skips. Uh, and I let a big secret out here. There's a, this product that's meant for like making models and stuff. It's like um, smooth on. Yeah. It's a mold. It's a high temperature silicone and you can mix it up and you can reproduce anything with it. <laughs> so if you have some kind of outdated bait or if you, you know, you can uh, add some clay or, grind away at some lure you have and modify it. And then you can make a mold out of it and uh, make lures. So, and, it, and then, so you can, and then you can direct it. That will take hot lead, right? Yeah. 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 It's actually, it's intended for pewter. And I, and some of this, some of the, my baits, I'll, I'll vary the weight on them by um pouring like stuff tin. in tin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some, some of them pouring lead, some of them pouring tin. So you can, basically make an identical bait in two different weights by using different tin or lead on the same as the same bait. I I also use the tin. I have the usual do-up molds and in the, in the late in the fall, I'll um, throw a blade bait, you know, silver buddy, whatever type of, right. type of bait. And uh, I have no capacity to, uh, you know, make a chrome bait, but if you, if you pour it in tin, you can polish it, and you got a chrome, chrome silver buddy, hmm. and lead, you know, lead you'll have to paint, or otherwise get nasty after a while. You kind of mentioned like logging your your baits, and actually, the last two years, I've been going back through my tournament videos yeah. and rewatching them, and then cataloging what like what, what you know what what are the what what are my wayfish coming on, and then also using Excel and you know, pivoting out what, what are my wayfish in tournaments that I cash checks and win in? Right. So like looking at it both ways, what do I wayfish on? And then which one's actually produced 
money finishes. Yeah. So that's yeah. interesting to, to start. And then, so I'll, I'll keep doing that, but where'd you find out? Uh, so two years ago, it was actually, I think I caught more than 50% of my wayfish or close to 50% on a frog. Wow. Now, I did have several tournaments on the Mississippi river that year. Yeah probably influenced it to some degree yeah um and the jig was the jig was up there both years um i'm trying to think uh tube last year the tube was big but i had a lot of tournaments on smally waters so stupid tube produced a lot of fish so it definitely like if if i'm only fishing 10 ish 12 ish tournaments a year right and the, the 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 schedule will influence but there are things like a jig and a texas rig that and a chatterbait that I think they were in the top three both years. So, yeah. Yeah. Really, you know, get you, keeps you from buying, buying too many baits <laughs> or something. And it, uh... I've definitely gotten more simple. Like when I was younger, you know, in my twenties and thirties, like I was on eBay buying the JDM little crankbaits and all that, like, right. Like caught up in like the newest stuff and the JDM stuff and the, hard to find stuff and all the colors and they're the rainbow. And then what I started realizing as a tournament fisherman, like if I got this like cool crankbait off eBay and then I was catching them on it and then I lost it, then I'd lose my confidence and I wouldn't be able to get it. Right. And then it's like, you know what I mean? Like you'd be like, yeah, yeah. Practice or in a multi-day tournament and you lose that secret crankbait. And all of a sudden you're like mentally, even though it probably didn't matter that much in your head, you're like, Oh, what am I going to do? I can't get that crankbait. It'll take me two weeks to get another one. Right. And so over the years, I've really, I mean, I still like some new, I mean, I dabbled, I bought some of the Chad Shads and I do experiment to some degree, but I don't go way overboard. I'm much more calculated and I'm sticking to like green pumpkin, uh, black and blue, you know, key colors, keeping it simple. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Well, I have a, like a, a great um, tip uh, method. You, you find yourself a fit a fishing buddy or fishing partner that's an absolute tackle junkie that buys every new thing that comes along and you go fishing with them and unless he outfishes you, you never buy one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I got a friend like that. Yeah. Uh, every new thing that comes down the pike, he, he's, he's got the full. So the one out of 10 when he beats you and you go like, all right, I'll buy that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, the spy bait. That's silly sure. spy bait. Oh my good. So we're, we're out fishing and having a, a tough day, and you could see the fish were suspended out off this break. And he tries this spy bait out, and he takes it out and throws it out, and, and catches like a two and a half pound largemouth right away. It's like okay, so he caught one. It's pretty good lake, not that big a deal. And then the next cast, he has a fish on. Well, he caught like twenty crappie in a row. I wasn't that worried. <laughs> but when he when he caught that fish and got a another bite right away i figured i was gonna have to buy those darn things yeah i have one i have some i don't i don't like to throw them i'm, I'm i like the power fish kind of something yeah, kind of that, feel like we're, we're, we're a little bit of a kin we like to to fish the same way we'll, we'll finesse fish when we have to but we'd prefer not to yeah i think like um you know there's guys on some of these guys do real well well i've been watching and listening to some of these podcasts that have this ben milliken guy yep. on and uh, it's really interesting to watch. I um, and it's really doesn't make me want to be him. Um, <laughs> he the first thing that struck me was uh, he was talking maybe he's on BTL, and he had to get uh his oil change or something on the boat because uh 
his five-week-old boat had like 90 hours on the outboard. Mm-hmm. It's like, I didn't, I don't think my, I don't think I've idled for 90 hours on my 15-year-old boat. <laughs> I got, I got less than 600 hours on a 15-year-old boat. I'm not going to spend that all that time. My I, boat, <laughs> my KMS is exactly a year old, I think, yeah. today. And I fish quite a bit. I mean, yeah. maybe not as many as some people, but I mean, like I'm much more than, I mean, I'm right. I mean, I get out six, eight times a month at least. And then I have tournaments yeah. like the state and stuff where I'll fish seven, eight days in a row. Right. And fish for up here, right up North 12, 13, 14 hours a day. Yeah. I think I have 55 hours on my boat in one year. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> about what I put on an average year. Cause you're, when you're on the water, you're fishing. Yeah. And uh, you know, and that's the thing that gives these, you know, like a club level guy, the unrealized, real expectation or whatever with, with uh, like the fancy electronics is you have, if you're fishing 30 hours, 40 hours a month, that's probably what you're, what you said is equating to. Sure. You're going to spend two and a half months looking at your depth finder. You know, that's, uh, you're not, you're not going to do it. I'm not convinced like guys have success but I don't know that they have any more success. You got, I don't know how, what percent of these guys, even at the top level, you know, you know, Keith Pochet and John Cox aren't fishing like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if, uh, if 75% of the guys are fishing with live scope and 25 aren't and their live scopes winning 70% of the tournaments, it's less effective. You know, I mean, yeah. And there are certain tournaments like St. Clair, the next oh, tournament I, coming up, absolutely will be like if you Keith Boucher doesn't have a chance in that tournament if he doesn't. Yeah, well, I, know, <laughs> but, I know. And yeah, I think up north where we live, the grass is a bit of an equalizer for the yeah. live scope. It does yeah. play at times, and you still you will pick fish off, and it can help. And but like, but we have a lake that's kind of like a Green Lake out in Spicer, uh, yeah. west of Minneapolis. Like it's like St. Clair. It's gotten to the point now. If you're not chasing around individual smallies, you're not going to win. Yeah, but yeah, but it's 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 not every lake, and it's another tool. And yeah, I mean, if in, I was in certain trying... situations, it's a must-have, especially at high-level competition. But your weekend anglers, it's it's a it's still a luxury item. You don't you don't really need it. Yeah, I think I think it hurts a lot of weekend guys. I mean, I if I was fishing professionally full-time i would have it and i would learn how to use it right i've been in boats guys have 360s i like the 360 pretty well what i don't like about the 360 is the crazy transducer setup and uh what that's how that affects you when you, you want to go shallow and throw your eighth ounce buzz bait and it's caking milfoil around your exactly <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah you get the picture <laughs> i have a 360 and a and a and a live scope plus um yep. But I rigged mine up. So there's a, a way that if you get two Solix knobs, yeah, you can do a quick disconnect on your 360. So you can just like hand screw and, and lay it on the deck. Okay. So and I and I velcro my cables so that I can yeah. like so it's not zip tied or taped. Like I can yeah, yeah. So like if 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 I'm offshore and I determine I need 360, but then all of a sudden I determine this isn't working, I'm gonna go up in the slop and frog, I can pull my 360 off. And I also, with the screw on my live scope, I put an extra mount up on like the barrel of my Ultrix. Yeah. So I can unscrew that and then screw that to right under the head. 
Yep. So I can go from like deep mode, best electronics you can have, but in like a minute, I could take those transducers off and get them out of the way and go plow through duckweed. Yeah, yeah. I uh yeah, I'm not I'm not fishing the stuff you're fishing anymore. So I yeah. uh, and if I'm fun fishing, I'm choosing to plow through duckweed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I am a guy that likes in at heart, I'd rather be touching my rod tip with the bottom and, and, and catching them power yeah. fish in shallow cover. So well that's a long while well, you're tracking how how uh what you caught these fish that you weighed in on, you track how deep you catch them. And, and if you're me, you find out you catch you catch one fish in the season for the club in more than 10 feet of water and, you know, three more, more than five feet of water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I haven't done to that level, but it's probably similar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, I, well, you know, I just think and I want to take a quick break here. Okay. Like 30 seconds. And we're going to, we're going to, Roll a clip from one of our other uh, partners here real quick. Okay, great. Are you ready to reel in your next home purchase or refinance? Supreme Lending's Dream Team can help guide you through the entire mortgage process from pre-qualification to closing. We have a wide variety of home loan programs in our tackle box, including down payment assistance and first-time homebuyer options. You can ask Hella Bass. He trusted us to help finance his home. Contact the Dream Team today by searching Supreme Lending Dream Team or click the link below in the description or scan the QR code on your screen. All right, and we're back. Thanks for everybody's patience. And like I mentioned, uh, if you're, if you're going to be buying a house, give my buddy Aaron a call and uh, give him a shot and support a company that supports uh, fishing. So... Um, but we'll get back so, to fish and talk. No questions. We got questions. I guess. Let, let's take some questions. Yeah, let's we take are. some questions. That's also is a good opportunity. Like the commercials, if you, if you need a, a, a refresh on your beverages, that's a good time. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh, Tackle craft. One of, one of our favorite painters. Uh, he says, Ed, do you use any discontinued baits that you wish were still around today? Yeah. Short ward. Short one. Yeah, I actually saw in an Instagram you, you broke one recently, right? I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you've got short warts, a PSA. If you have short warts that you're no longer using, go to Ed Cowan Five on Instagram and send him a DM, and he'll he'll help you out. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, short sure. I I'm probably not even aware some of the stuff. I have enough supply. I'm probably not even aware it's discontinued. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And how do you like to fish a short wart? Oh, it's just, you know, a square build. Okay. Um, so. Hard cover, or does it do well around grass? Yeah, rip wrap mostly. Okay. Mostly rip wrap. Oh, and I don't think it's discontinued, but it's pretty old school. Is, uh, my other one of my other favorite um, crankbaits is a one minus. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like uh, the guy that owned the local bait shop was told me I was the only one. There's a lake. By me, that Shahola Swamp Marsh. <laughs> to give you an idea what Shahola Swamp Marsh is, it's, it's a swamp. And uh, he says I'm the only person which actually tried to throw a spit uh, crankbait in that lake. Nice. Well, a lot of people though will say that it changed. I don't know, ten years ago or whatever, and that they like the old ones and not the newer ones. Oh, are there new ones? I have so some of the stuff. I have so many. The ones that say <clears throat> one minus, like embossed in the side of it are the old yep. ones and the new oh, ones that's all I have. yeah 
but I actually have a pretty good supply of those. Yeah. Because uh, you, you, you lose one to some toothy critter once in a while, but uh, sure. it's not like, you know, you're, you're fishing riprap, but a short work, you, you get snagged. Sure. Nick, Nick says he's the guy that buys the tackle, and based on the kickback from Omnia, uh, I can retire. So that's appreciated, Nick. And uh, a good segue to remind you that there is a, an updated code for June down at the bottom of the screen for those that like to shop at Omnia Fishing. So if, if Ed ever runs out of baits, you know he can also um, use that as well. But uh, let's see what else are questions we have here. Um, <clears throat> this is more of a generic question. Justin. I know you asked this earlier. 705 CB for Raplo Shadow Wrap Shads. I don't know. The Shadow Wrap Shad, I don't know. Is that different than a Shad Wrap? I know a Shad Wrap, I would say the 705 is a little stiff for that. I would go to a 704 power. I can't remember what their Shadow Wrap Shad. I think that's a deeper body jerkbait. I think it would probably be okay because I throw jerkbaits quite a bit on the 705. So I think if it's a jerkbait that I'm thinking about from Raplo, it probably would work pretty good. Um, Drop Mint comment earlier that his dad used to fish with Brian Kershaw on Candlewood. Uh, yeah, Candlewood is super lake. I've heard that. Um, didn't they put a bunch of grass carp in it, and now it's kind of yeah. lake, and it's went to crap, and it's all muddy and it's uh well. Dirty. See, a base lake on Candlewood Lake. Um, a here. If it's lakefront and basically a uh, 12, 1400 square foot ranch is about, is over a million dollars. And uh, a lot of the houses are, you know, five, 6,000 square feet. So they're, so these uh, wealthy people want to live on a swimming pool. So they got these grass carp on in there to try to get rid of the milfoil. And when you get rid of the vegetation of the lake, it turns to a mud hole. <laughs> But but the fish is still real good. Um, we had a fish the tournament there. In the the spring tournaments, there's guys were catching twenty three, twenty winning twenty three, twenty five pre spawn. You had to catch twenty three to twenty five pounds of smallmouth to win a team tournament on there. Yeah, but with the homeowners, right? They went from clear lake, right, crystal clear water with grass. Yeah. Now murky looking water with no grass, and they probably weren't quite yeah. thinking that's what was going to happen when they put a bunch of grass carp in there. Yeah, I don't know what they thought was going to happen. They could have, you know, got some uh, what's that? What's that stuff that kills grass and weeds that they might suit? Roundup. They could have got Roundup and you know nuked their yard and seen what happened. They probably right. It was a pretty good idea the same thing you know so I, I so but this is like a recent thing so i would imagine fishing is going to taper off after a few years of not having grass but um, i don't know it's uh they'll probably just go candlewood has changed over the years i fished candlewood i fished my first club tournament in candlewood in the 70s and uh way back it uh was mostly pickerel and small largemouth and uh then uh alewives somehow got in the lake and uh the fish got bigger and um, they started doing a winter drawdown. They draw it down like five to seven feet in the winter and uh, firmed up the bottom along the shoreline and the smallmouth population exploded and uh, had, it was real good smallmouth and largemouth. I would imagine uh, with less grass, there'll be fewer largemouth and more smallmouth. It's, it's always been a good lake. 
It's it's right. funny how lakes are like that because New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and uh, New York all have closed seasons, and Pen and Connecticut's open year round. So Candlewood gets absolutely hammered. It has tournaments sure. like seven days a week in the spring because these other states are closed. And, and they're just, close because it's geographically very tight. Yep, geographically very tight. And it's it, within, it's the best lake within until you get like upstate New York. There's nothing else. You know, it's probably 30 miles from New York City. And there's nothing else within 150 miles from New York City. The deep. Oh, I didn't realize it was that close, close. to New York City. That's crazy. oh yeah, it's close. <laughs> it's close to New York City, and it's just and it's only 5,400 acres, and you know. So decent, but not big. I mean, really, no, it's not big. It's not big, but it's it's just fantastic. It's always been fantastic. I don't know. I don't. I hear that they're doing taking steps to get rid of the grass carp now. There is another lake close by, um, Candlewood, this, like an 800-acre lake, uh, Mayapak, that they did the same thing. They put the grass carp in, and it turned into a strictly smallmouth lake until the grass carp went away and the largemouth mm. were coming back. So I think it'll just it'll affect the largemouth more than the smallmouth. I don't know. You'll probably get Paul Mule around here someday. He'll <laughs> probably have Yeah, try to connect. Paul's really tricky because he uh, – <clears throat> When he's not out on the road, he's guiding. Oh, so I've yeah. had a hard time. I've talked to him a few times, uh, and it's just like – and he, he guides late, and they're flaying fish at night, and he's – you know what I mean? Like, he's a busy guy, so yeah. it's been tough connecting with him, but we definitely talked about it. Well, if the fishing falls off on Candlewood, he might not be there as you go. <laughs> and You might get him on, but uh, I hope not for his sake. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, it's just – it's only a place I fish a couple times a year. I used to, when I used to probably like tournament fish like every weekend when I was younger, I would go there quite a bit because they had a lot of uh, of the better payoff tournaments. But there really isn't much in the Northeast that uh, is that worthwhile to fish really anymore. Sure. It seems like the smaller, you know, there's more small circuits and they get smaller turnouts and they have smaller prizes. There, there used to be a tournament circuit um, in New England uh, that was, you know, um, sponsored by Foxwoods Casino. Uh, Lee Bailey, who he made a couple of classics, he ran it. It's Indian owned, you know, Foxwoods Casino sponsored uh -huh. it. It was a real good circuit. They, Gave away a boat at every tournament. The entry fee was like three hundred dollars, you know. And they they fish Candlewood, Hudson River, up into New England. But uh, anymore, there isn't that much uh, regional. The only, yeah. yeah, the only boat I'm fishing for this year is uh, Iconelli's this weekend. Yeah, he's fishing the Ike Foundation this weekend. Ike Foundation this weekend. Yeah, he has. I actually like. He'd have me come as a pro. He used to have it where he'd get people to put up a, you know, a good size, I think $1,500 to fish with a pro or whatever. And used to have it on the Delaware River, which is a, it, an interesting place. And um, I used to, you know, run a boat for him. We had it on Delaware River. Now he counts on just anglers enter, went, moved down to Chesapeake Bay 
which if you know most of your audience probably knows about Chesapeake Bay. That's a that's actually where I fished the classic in '91. Is Chesapeake Bay, and uh, you know it's pretty good fishing. And he'll probably get his 150 bow full field. I liked it better when I was on the Delaware, and I just went and took a I took um a guy that was an MNFL player out, and one of them I took a a uh, MMA fighter out, and another one. <laughs> I'll just be going with a friend. That's <laughs> yeah. Who, who's your partner for the Derby on this weekend? Uh, this guy Dustin Smith. He's a young guy. He's a younger guy that I I know. Is he, he from up your way? Yeah, yeah. He's a, little, a local guy. The guy I fish okay. with the guy I fish with a lot. Um, nice. We I think this is the first team term we ever ever fish because I really don't just. Do my, I mostly just fish in the club now, right? Fish in the club event. Well, it, it's a it's an interesting club. It's a Five Alive Bassmasters. They've been on a Ike Show several times. We have 160 members. Wow. Yeah, we're our our club tournaments are bigger than the federation tournaments at this point. Hmm. How many boats do you typically get? For- um, early tournaments. Well, we it's uh. We all fish for the same pot, so it's not a pro-am, but it's not like a draw. You can fish alone or if they don't pair you with somebody. Well, our opening tournament, you'll see get 60 or more boats, 70 boats. Later in the year, drops down, you know, 30, 40 or so. I think we're... Still a good size derby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the biggest one we had, we had ladies, like, just shy of 90 guys fishing. In a club tournament on the Delaware River. The Delaware is a an interesting place. Uh, it's got a uh, it's tidal and the tide changes seven feet. So the water just rushes in and rushes out, and you can get in big trouble in a hurry. Right. As far as getting, getting trapped and stuck and and stuff like that. But, yeah, there were some stories from the Elite Series. The guys that were had to wait out tides and they were sweating bullets and. Oh yeah. <clears throat> Oh, I, I fished, uh, we had a club tournament down on the upper bay this past weekend and, uh, I didn't catch anything in practice because I was stuck for six hours. (laughs) (laughs) I got stuck when the tide was going down and it was still more than two hours from low tide. So I sat there, let it drop out, let it come back up and, (laughs) and, you know, went back and put the boat on the trailer. There you go. I end up winning, so it shows you how much practice means. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, what? Uh, Big Bass Malone uh, wants to know what your PB largey and smallie is. Um, biggest largemouth I ever caught was a uh, nine out of a uh, Hartwell in practice in a, for a BASS tournament. Um, in the north, I caught a an eight eight forty two. I think it's my profile picture. Sure. In a local lake here, and uh, biggest small, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I've I, five 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 is the biggest one I ever put on a scale. Okay, I, uh, I caught a, a few in um tournaments in that range in the Great Lakes that didn't get weighed for lunker that I never weighed because you know, when the lunkers are six and a half pounds, if you got a five six. Nobody cares, you know. Right. <laughs> that may be me. But yeah, no, I don't I don't really like smallmouth fishing that much. 
I mean, they're fun to catch. I like smallmouth when they, uh, I like the kind of smallmouth that eat spinnerbaits when the wind's blowing. Those are. <laughs> yeah. You'd probably like uh, this. Uh, like my first term of this year, we fished up on Lake Vermilion and we were able to catch smallmouth in three to six feet of water on jerk baits all day on boulders. Like, you know, yeah, and yeah. power fish them and had a good time. So. Well, nothing like that five, five smallmouth I caught on a spinnerbait. So. <laughs> Those are fun because they really plow plow it, and uh, the Walnut Pawpack is a lake in Pennsylvania that made bass's top one hundred sometime when they're trying to put something from every state. But it's, it's only fair. Um, uh, I have a bit of a reputation of being hard to beat if uh, the weather's bad. Nice, because <laughs> because once uh, the winds start blowing hard on the lake, you catch them on whatever whatever bank the wind's blowing on if mm-hmm. there's never been a fish there ever before and the wind's blowing hard enough they'll be there you know because right. they spend a, t- a lot of time in open water following air wives and uh i know there's a couple of young guys around here that are pretty hot pretty hot that uh they they're pretty good with their live scope they do they do well they made it to that bass pro shop championship last year and all so he can catch those ones wandering around following the yellow wives. I'll either stay shallow or wait for the wind <laughs> myself. <laughs> so, nice. Um, uh, South Jersey Fishman wants to know, do you think they should, I guess the question, do you think they should come back to the Delaware? Um, and I guess the follow-up is like, do you think they will? I used to try to encourage um, – when I was in the Jersey Fed, I used to tell them that when they hosted the national, the divisionals, you know, like the ones you go to all the mm-hmm. all the time, that they should have it on the Delaware River. Um, when, uh, yeah, I th- I would. It's it's extreme tidal water bass fishing. It's it's like nothing else. I fish a lot of tidal water, Connecticut. I've won tournaments all up and down the East Coast at different levels on tidal water, and it is just tidal water squared. It's and uh, I, I wish they go there. I don't think they'll go there. I don't know why they wouldn't go there. They uh, had a re- at the time. I think they had a record turnout for uh, for people. You know, right? As far as marketing and all, it's. Uh, there's not a, I mean, they had that elite series out of Philadelphia. There's not a bigger market in this country where you could have a bass tournament. You know, it's, it doesn't make any sense to me that they don't go back there. I My theory is that nobody named Van Dam caught a single fish when they were there, and so they'll never go back. Hmm. I even, um, I even like, uh, messaged that, um, the MPFL told them they should try to get it there. I mean, I think it's a real good place to have a tournament. So, is it is that the the position of where it is, or is it also because it's small and it funnels hard? Because like, does the Hudson swing as much, or like the other tidal mm. fisheries up north swing as much, or is it? No, it's funny because um, you can actually go through the uh, DNC Canal, uh, Delaware Chesapeake Canal, and get from the Delaware to the Chesapeake, and the Chesapeake's tides only maybe three feet right and where like two and a half ish where like the hudson 
and uh, Connecticut are more in the four foot range, three and a half, four foot range. And so like of the tidal waters I fish, the Chesapeake has the least tide and the Delaware has the most. Isn't Delaware like six? It's seven, eight, okay. <laughs> six to eight feet. It's, it's like crazy. It's just like the water disappears. And then at high tide, there's water everywhere. Hmm. <laughs> and, and, um, you know, it's got a, a bad reputation. The fishing isn't great, but, you know, like uh, compared to the Sabine, they call a lot more fish in the Sabine than what they caught in the Del Delaware. But um, the size is better on the Delaware. You know, it's not right. this. It's not like uh, the Chesapeake, the size is freaking real. Yeah. yeah, it's going to it could take as much as 25, 26 pounds to win Ike's tournament. Post spawn like it is, it probably only take low 20s. But the, in the Delaware, a 12-pound catch is a good catch. But I've seen – there was a 20 caught in a team tournament in Delaware last fall, and uh, 15 in team terms isn't that unheard of there. Uh -huh. But it's, um, you know, it's, it's not the – that's not the worst place in the world. That's the Ohio right. River. Everybody prove that. Or the, or the Illinois River. <laughs> or the Illinois River. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But, uh, um, so AJ wants to know, what do you think of the new format of the Bass Nation? Have you studied it? Do you understand what they're doing, or what are you? I I haven't really kept up because you know, I mean, once in a while I think about doing it. I would probably be more inclined if I was going to try to uh, qualify for something. When I first started, when I first started, uh, when I first got a boat, I fished uh, the Red Man, which is BFL now. Yep. And, uh, and I fished it for six years, made six regionals. And like the first regional I made was on Kerr, regional classic. And uh, I went down to Kerr and uh, basically I, uh, bass living milfoil on docks is what I knew <laughs> about, you know, catching a bass. And there's sure. no and there's no, no milk well and curve. No, and very and and, and very 19, few docks. Yeah. In 1984, there's virtually no docks. I didn't have a clue how to catch fish in that silly lake at, at the time. So I go to these southern reservoirs, uh, you know, for the um the regionals. Yeah. So I never made the All American. So if I was going to try to do something, I would probably fish the BFL. And, circuit and try to make it all American if I had uh, or you could fit I mean if there is there a TBF out where you are? Yeah, yeah. Because the TBF can get you to the all American as well. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but you know, like I when I was young I thought I wanted to be a pro fisherman. I found out it's a, a lot of hard work and not very glorious and a, a terrible way to make a living. Um <laughs> so <laughs> so when I got my Brian Kersel trophy and uh you know what? It really like as far as you fish a tournament. Um, there's as far as the competition and just the satisfaction of of when you do well, it doesn't make that much difference if you're fishing. You know the um, the opens or you know your club tournament. You go out and you make the right decisions and make a good catch. You do well, <laughs> and uh, sure if. Any kind of tournament fish you're doing, if you win enough money to uh to pay to do it, if it pays pays for your way and you fish for free, you're doing pretty well. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, and everybody know. I mean, uh, Blocker always talks about how the you know, old guys can't compete anymore anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, and Blockett is the perfect example of like he's figured out a way to be relevant and make a living and not really catch him. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It's uh, I watch his thing. It's I I like the nostalgia he has in his thing. I don't sure. know. I he when he was still trying to fish the big tournaments and he's in a business with that um Johnny Schultz. Johnny Schultz, yeah. And he, if 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 I was like in a business part with Johnny Schultz, I would absolutely know how to use that electronics. <laughs> I feel like it's almost like a stick now between them, right? It's like the yin and the yang, and it's like yeah. Uh, yeah. The thing is, like Randy comes off as this aw shucks, you know, like guy, but I think he, at a high level, he 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 he's he's playing chess. With yeah. YouTube and his videos and all that kind of stuff, right? It's oh, yeah. it's very calculated and scripted. It comes across as very like ho hum and uh, shucks, but I, I don't think that's the case at all. Yeah, and I'm always waiting because uh, I mean I know Dan in Korea. He roomed with Danny and Bob Pastic, his other guy. They traveled in the pro circuit, fished the Red Man. Well, I fished it, and I've I've fished with the. I know Danny and Bob, so it's like uh, I watch this thing to see what he's going to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, and those guys, and also the year of um, like when I fished the oh, the uh, all the national championships, the couple classics, those were all Ray Scott ones. It's like mm-hmm. they'll never be, you know, Ray Scott emceeing. I mean, Mercer's great. I like Mercer, but it's not Ray Scott. <laughs> no, he's no fish Fishburn. <laughs> uh, Fishburn's a good guy. I, he was fishing. I fish when he was doing it for a while too. Yeah. Uh, the only tournament that I ever fished that uh, Ray Scott emceed, I fished in a weekend series national championship on Clark's Hill, um, and that was the one event that I actually got to meet Ray Scott, and he uh, did part of the weigh-in and MC and spoke and things like that. So that's the only event I ever got to fish that Ray was a part of. Oh, he he was amazing. He he met you once and he knew who your name was and you know what you did. And... Mm-hmm. Forever, like <laughs> you come back years later and and stuff. But uh, yeah, that was uh, well, Block of Choice talking. That was the heyday, you know. <laughs> Somewhat, I don't know. I mean, it's all relative, relevant and relative or whatever. Um, the uh, the kayak thing is pretty wild now. Uh, yeah, so I I think you mentioned you fish slay nation right tournaments well, which are online virtual tournaments yeah during with the covid you know when um he he did a bunch of online stuff uh during covid and uh i was do they still do it or do they they stop doing it they stopped doing it okay but there's uh those apps you can actually uh go on uh there's two of them uh, tournament x and fish donkey and they there's all kinds of online tournaments there. They have some that are like just for fun and they have a fee that covers their, um, their cost, you know? Right. And, uh, the CPR, you can, uh, me and a few friends, uh, do one and, you know, you can't catch them. All. You can catch them on the bank, you know, <laughs> and compete in a right a long tournament, you know? So, I did, uh, last year there was an app called half a spot. 
Okay. And uh, they still have the app, but it seems like they're only doing international stuff. But they had like a north and a south and a kayak and a bank and a boat region. So like I was fishing a lot of these boat north regions and there were month long tournaments. And the participation was never great. But like I wasn't like I was just like measuring and documenting the fish I was catching. I wasn't you know what I mean? Like I was just. Yeah. At the end of the day, when I go to tournaments, I would just like put my fish on the board before I threw them back, right? Or if I was out practicing, if I caught a good one, I'd put it on the board and, and yeah, log it. And yeah. I think I just about won every <laughs> one, or I caught got big bass and like like I'd get I'd make money every month just by entering oh. these twenty five dollar tournaments, and I won like three uh, Abu Garcia combos, maybe like oh, JV cool. combos, or but and I just donated those to like high school kids and things like yeah, that. So. Yeah. I need to check out some of these other like fish donkey and tourney X to see if there's other more tourneys I can get into that. Like, especially these month long ones, it's like, yeah. I'm going to get out 10 times. Like it's just another way to participate and have fun. Yeah. You'd be surprised how good um, some bank fishermen do. Sure. They got oh, these little sneak holes. I mean, they, they, oh. they'll put up a hundred inches on you in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, how hard it is to catch a hundred inches in the North too. I, uh, when I first fished that, I, you know, I thought a, a 20 pound bag is a hundred inches. That's more like 25 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Especially up North. I mean, our fish are built different, right? A 20 incher it's is a all a five pounds. Yeah. Well, except yeah. maybe this time of year, right? Most other times of year, 20 inches is five and a half pounds. So, yeah. And you're better. You're actually better off fishing for smallmouth that don't have gobies to eat. <laughs> right. Cause they're long, long fish. Those river Susquehanna smallmouth, those long yeah. skinny ones are. Cause I had, um, a 21 and a half inch fish at uh, during our club tournament at Candlewood. And, uh, you know, I put it on the board before I weighed it in and it weighed, uh, I think, 475 or something like that. You know, so. <laughs> I, several years ago in Mississippi River, I had a 20 and three quarter inch or 21 and change smallmouth. And I don't think it, it was like three and three quarter pounds. Yeah. It was yeah. just that old river, like, Oh, yeah. I mean, when I came up, I thought it was a largemouth because his mouth was so big. But then, yeah, just yep. Some of those river smallmouth are like the Hudson River smallmouth are long and skinny. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Michael Bradley says, "Did you fish that event rolling one on the Hudson?" Uh yeah, I watched him win it. <laughs> that was the first uh, first pro tournament I ever fished, and uh, so his I, jet boat was just past where you could get or what no no the hudson he wanted that was oh, no. river used to jet boat. oh okay okay the right. hudson river he um he he won the hudson river you know about 50 miles south of uh catskill where the tournament okay. was out of and uh i was fishing the same area he was for the first two days and then then um and i was the first i fished uh Three invitationals, two on the Hudson and one on the Thousand Islands before I won the national championship. So in the eighties, I fished three invitationals. Just you know, when they'd come up north, you tried to get in, right? And um, and uh, all three of them, I fell out of the money the last day because <laughs> you know I, I was not experienced and I didn't know how to fish three day tournaments. And at the Hudson, I uh, I was fishing the same areas rolling for the first two days. And that's how the big willow leaf spinnerbaits, that was the first time anybody that came out, you know, like the, all these different baits over the years, 
somebody did well in a, a pro tournament, and that's how the world found out, and it was the Willow Leaf spinnerbait. Because I hear Roland Caston, it's like, what in the hell's all that clacking? You could hear the spinnerbait, blades clacking together, because I was just throwing a spinnerbait with, you know, number three and number four Colorado or whatever was a standard, you know, 1984 spinnerbait. And uh, the third day he, he disappeared and I didn't do very well. And he went someplace else and for his third day catch <laughs> and won the tournament. And I uh, fell from, you know, the 28th or something I was down to, uh, you know, three places out of the money, <laughs> whatever he, exactly. You needed was. a cut back then. Yeah, you know, if there was that's the that's I don't like the cuts because the I fished um in two thousand seven I uh so I you know I went to the classic and was satisfied with my my tournament life and stuff <laughs> and uh my I worked for this guy and it, he was a gambler and a, a fisherman and he's. Father, why don't you fish bigger tournaments? Why don't you fish bigger tournaments? Why don't you fish pro tournaments? And um, it's like, yeah. So he goes, here's what we're, I'm going to do. I'll pay for everything. Give you the week off with pay, and we'll split whatever you win. <laughs> so, so that's so I. Uh, that's I an offer you can't say no to. Yeah, yeah. So, so I fished the. Um, so I fished the uh, Strand series. And because uh, he wanted me to get on the FLW, but then uh, it was a construction company in uh, 2008. The um, what you call it, uh, economy collapsed and the right. went out of business. But I got to fish all these the, these uh, strength series uh, on his dime, you know, and made a little money. But I forgot what what brought this up, where I was going with this. But uh, what were we talking about? Uh. <laughs> A cut you didn't like you don't like oh so okay so anyway the first year uh, 2000 so this happened in 2006 we just started out he wanted to fish the bfl so i fished the bfl on the weekend he was paying for it and i uh the division the, the um regional classic was a cur and the first day um i was in fourth place it was windy and i caught my fish on on these rocky these banks with spinnerbait then the second day, it was dead calm, and I dropped to like eighth place. And they only they were taking six for the All American. They cut the field to six, and it blew the, the final day, day. The third day, when I was leaving, driving home, the wind blew like <laughs> as hard as the wind can blow, and they let you still go out, and nobody caught more than two fish. Hmm. It's like if there was no cut, I'm sure I would have won that tournament. <laughs> Or at least made that all American. So, so I so I don't really love cuts. And the other thing I found in um, when I was fishing the Invitationals in the early nineties is uh, if I if you found like the right deal but not the really the right thing, if you were fishing the same way the leaders were with the draw tournaments, if nobody would encroach on the guys in the top ten. But if you're fishing the same best basic pattern and you were in, you know, 40th place, you were getting invaded. So I, if after two, a lot of those invitationals after two days, if I was like below, like around, they paid to 50. If you were like 40th, I'd end up falling out. 
and I think anytime I was in like, if I found something that was different, but wasn't the right thing to do, you'd end up, everybody would leave you alone and you'd have it all to yourself and you'd end up moving up the last day. Mm-hmm. Most of the time that I came in the money in the 30s or 40s, I was in like 60th or 70th place going into the final day. And I really wasn't doing the right thing, but it worked well enough that if I had a run of the lake and nobody was trying to do what I was doing, you'd keep catching them. You were, yeah, it makes sense. You were close for for a reason if they left you alone. Um, the, oh, one of the funny things was, uh, so one of the earliest invitational fish was on the Thousand Islands. And um, this was back when largemouth would win half of them. And uh, I had these fish found in Lake of the Isles. And uh, it was, um, I think it was one, it was either either Clun or Houston won that tournament throwing a spinnerbait out in the lake in where they had all, it was like the end of the world out on Ontario in an 18-foot bass boat. So the first day and the first morning, I go into Lake of the Isles and I make a pretty good catch. And then the front rolls in and the fish stop biting. And I know the fish stopped biting. I know I'm done. And I, so I, you know, weigh in and I'm in 25th place or whatever the heck it is. And I get my second day partner. And the guy, the first thing, my second day partner says, are you fishing in the, in the river or the lake? Because apparently you've been, been on the lake. I said, in the river, but I'm not, my fish are done. This friend killed him. He says, I don't care. We're going to your fish. <laughs> so, so I fished in the river and dropped to like, you know, 49th place. Sure. <laughs> next, uh, draw the next guy, guys. Guy goes, Oh, I see you're in the cut. You're fishing in the river to lake. I said, The river, but I'm not catching me anymore. That was from the first day. He says, I don't care. I'm not going out to the lake. We're fishing your fish. <laughs> and of course, I dropped out like I did all three times, all three that I fished in New York, you know, in my early days. But uh, it's, you know, three days is different than one, but, you know, you fish a bunch of divisionals and you get used to that. Yeah, it's it's, it's an art for sure. Multi-day tournaments are uh, yeah. their own breed. Yeah. So you did you traveled quite a bit. Uh, let's see. There was a question here. Gators Adventures. He says, uh, "How many states have you fished in? Do you have any idea?" I think I figured it out. I think it's twenty-three or or so. I forget. The one one thing good and. Like um, I saw, it was probably Block had talked about what states have the best, you know, most good fishermen, and uh, it's actually surprising how many guys are on the elites from like New Jersey and Connecticut. Yeah, in such small, I mean, the biggest lake in Connecticut is fifty four hundred acres, and the biggest lake in New Jersey will be besides the Delaware River, which is on the border, is Lake Apacon. It's like twenty seven hundred acres, and you got. You know, Mike Hacanelli and uh, and JDP fishing out of Jersey. You know, and um, w- when you live around New York City and in, in one of those states, in the seasons and all, like the the BFL, when I fished the BFL in the '80s, we'd open on the Potomac, we'd fish Champlain, Thousand Islands, you know, maybe go to Canwin, Connecticut. You you do a lot of travel, a lot of traveling. You've, and then, and even those divisional teams, the Northeast was always the biggest division. We covered thirteen states, and uh, 
know, I fished divisional tournaments and probably 10 of them. So, so you end up fishing a, when, when you live someplace that there's not, there's a lot of little, little lakes and not a lot of uh, big tournament lakes. You end up uh, traveling, traveling a lot. So, yeah. yeah. I think I fished 17 myself. So, yeah. Yeah. I think I fished every state on this side of the Mississippi and, um, you know, most of them that touched the Mississippi on the others, except Rhode Island. Never fished in Rhode Island. Yeah, most of fish there. Rhode Island would host their their um, you know, when it was their turn to have divisional, they'd have it on the Connecticut River. They'd host it in Connecticut and stuff like that. And you know, when the few years I fished on a pro circuit, you know, ran yeah. me around quite so- a bit. Clay, I'm pretty sure most of these invitationals that Ed's talking about were pro on pro. Right? Yeah, well, pro on pro. Yeah. So, yeah. like, almost all of your invitational experience was pro on pro. That'd be what 10, 20 tournaments or whatever. Um, I think I fished. I think I fished thirty three. Okay. And, yeah. And I think I fished uh, mm-hmm. like maybe six with FLW. And that's where you said you fished with KVD and you fished with yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I fished with KVD the day he set the. Uh, the record for the biggest bag at that point. It was the Where first was day. It was the first day on San Rayburn Reservoir in Texas. Um, it was it was a real frustrating tournament for me because uh, I would never pre-fish or anything. And uh, I mean, basically, I drive to Texas by a map when I got there, <laughs> or drive to you know Alabama or wherever, and then. Uh, you know, just wing it, you know, no information. I mean, there wasn't a lot of real good sources of information. So we went to Rayburn in Texas, and the thing was like 10 feet above. The The edge of the woods was 10 feet deep, and it was like the time of the, you know, it was the spring, and the fish were obviously spawning. And in practice, I couldn't find a way to get to the shoreline, like anywhere, except maybe a couple of developed areas that had so many boats it was ridiculous. And I drew out Kevin the first day. So we when you there. say you didn't practice, like you didn't practice at all, or you just well, I didn't practice. Like, no, I just I just drive to Texas, you know, get there for the first day of practice. Right. So you'd go there for the official two or three days of practice. Three, three days. You wouldn't pre-practice. Yeah. I had no pre-practice. No pre-practice. Okay. No. Most times I didn't buy a, a a map till I got there. I just went there, and, you know. Ran around for three days, and it was frustrating. The fact that I couldn't find, so I draw Kevin, and he goes into the woods here, and it's like old growth forest with these big trees that you could actually get between. I mean, I I pulled my drain plug out during practice trying to get to the shoreline, you know, because you couldn't get to the shoreline because the, the lake was flooded, and um, he uh, he caught like. 32 and a half pounds and the and the biggest five fish limit at that point was Ron Sheffield's at like 29. Wow. And uh and he actually should have put it away the first day. He um he wouldn't uh he fishes real fast and he was intentionally leaving like five pound fish, I think, saving them. He caught a 10 9 and a 9 10. Wow. And and it was the first ten pounder he'd ever seen. Either one of us had ever seen in our life. We <laughs> neither, one, neither one of us. He was a kid. It was this was nineteen ninety. He was like twenty two years old or something. Yeah, yeah. He never. We didn't know how big these fish were. <laughs> we, we were guessing how big the fish were and stuff. And um, 
you know, yeah. But just he had gone down and pre-fished, and he'd found this area where you could actually get around in the woods because of the this size trees that lived there. And I was, yeah. So um, that was quite the experience. He's uh, he's he's incredible. You knew you knew where. So did, did you catch anything behind him? Yeah, I caught you know eleven pounds or whatever. <laughs> you know? he, he let you scrap up a few two pounders behind him. Well, I had one on. I had one on um, when I uh, well he when he caught this ten nine he's throwing a floating worm and this uh, and this fish uh, took a shot at the floating worm and missed it and the um, and he says oh my god look at the size of the fish it's oh it's right there it's on a bed right so he's sitting there playing with this fish on the bed and. Uh, and I had won the national bed fishing. Like in 1991, I could bed fish as good as anybody. So it's like he's, and he's trying to catch this 10 ounce bed. And uh, I said, Kevin, that gets it. Isn't going to bother that big fish. He goes, oh, yeah, what do you think I should do? I said, throw a spook past that thing. So he picks up a spook and throws it past this fish on the bed about three times. And the third time that, this monster follows the spook right to the boat, goes back to bed, and starts spinning the circles. So he picks up that floating worm again on the spin rod, throws it in there, and the thing just eats it. And he right. sets the hook and lets go of the reel handle. And the reel handle just spin it around, and there's a row of bubbles going through the woods. <laughs> and, he, and he throws the trolling bar high and runs into a tree and says, get me to that fish. And, and we get over there, and the fish is basically dead, and he picks it up, and... And puts it in a live well. So uh, we go down a little further, and he sees sees another monster. He says, "I'm not making that mistake again." And he picks up his bait casting rod with a freaking sluggo and throws a sluggo in there, you know, on 17 pound test and catches at nine ten. And then we go down a little further, and uh, I get a, a big one nailed my freaking floating worm, and I set the hook and let go of the reel handle. The reel handle spinning around, and he's screaming, it's not hooked, it's not hooked. You didn't set the hook. <laughs> and the damn thing, I hadn't set the hook, I guess, because it just came off. I mean, huh. he was more aware of what was going on with my lure than I was. <laughs> so he says, oh, that was with like nine pounds. Then the next day in the weigh-in line, he comes up with me, says, oh, my partner had that fish up to the boat that you lost yesterday. I think it's like 13 pounds. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but the they started dropping the water and he didn't have a very he ended up facing third in that tournament. He he didn't have a very good third day. And those the first day the fish were there, he could have caught thirty-five or thirty-six pounds and had enough to win the tournament. Or maybe forty if he catches the thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well I blew that fish. <laughs> but that was the biggest fish I ever hooked. But uh, you know. It's a good story. But it's just, and I think he's got like photo. He, I think he's got like total recall. His hand-eye coordination is like he can cast further and more accurately than anybody I ever been in a boat with. It's he, you know, you're getting bites. He's telling you to set the hook. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's quite the he's quite the guy. But even did you ever did you ever fish with like Nixon or Brower um, or 
Um, I fished with Shaw several times because I, okay. I was, matter of fact, Shaw made me stop. Uh, I bet Shaw a dollar every, I knew Shaw, a couple of my friends from the, I knew Shaw from like sports shows and uh, a friend of mine would go down to Florida and go fishing with him in the eighties. So when I started, the only guy I really knew was Shaw and uh, I bet him a dollar at the classic and I, um, I got his dollar. I got, hmm. That one signed lucky. Okay. <laughs> and then we went to the uh, Illinois river and uh, Illinois river. I, the first day I drew, um, Who's the guy that dropped the fish that lost the classic uh, by dropping the fish? Jim Bitter. Jim Bitter. I drove ben, Jim Bitter the first day at the Mississippi, you know, at the Illinois River. And I, um, you know, it's like a draw, you know, a, a draw tournament where you got to decide um, whose boat you're going to use. So I tell them, you know, what, how my practice went, just what I got. And I said, listen, you know, you totally deserve my respect. You tell me what you think we ought to do. He says, we ought to take your boat and go to your fish because I ain't got nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I was in ninth place the first day. And then, uh, the second day I, I went back to my fish and I'm caught, did okay. And I moved up to sixth and, uh, the third day I blew my motor <laughs> mm. <laughs> and didn't weigh in. So I ended up, but it was, the fish was really bad. So I think I, it's probably on the wall here someplace. Uh, I think it's 19th. There, 19th. <laughs> so you took out a Peoria, and, like, where were you running to? Uh, like, way up north, well, no, way south? I, I, the Mississippi River one lock up. So you were running from the Illinois River to Mississippi? Yeah. Okay, that was a haul, especially yeah. in the boat back then. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that red boat. <laughs> yeah. You got any great stories about like, I mean, like, I guess when you drew KVD, did you have a discussion on whose boat? Or like, do you have any good stories about uh, boat discussions with any of these guys? Um, well, you know what? Uh, the draw, draw tournament, there's a lot of talk these days about how much there's respect between um, the anglers and stuff. And uh, draw tournaments were 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 good for that because a lot went on reputation. Um, mm -hmm. It's like if you uh, if you had a good reputation, then you would you would it would be in a good situation. Yeah. I um, you know, like I said, I, you know, bitter freaking rode with me and went to my fish uh, as his call the very first day I even fished one of those tournaments. And uh, now when I drew, um, I drew, drew George Cochran, who was one of the three that I named as uh, just right. exceptional. I drew George Cochran at the, the next time I went to Rayburn. And, um, and, and we talked about our stuff. And uh, we both had the same pattern. And he was fishing close to the ramp, and I was fishing far from the ramp. And this comes full circle with a lot of uh, some of the other stuff we dealt with. So it's like, I said, like, well, George, we might as well just, you know, you deserve my respect anyway. So I would uh, let you, it would be your call. But uh, we're doing the same thing. 
we might as well just take your fish and your boat and go to your fish because we're doing the same thing, you know. So uh, we go out there, and that it was pre-spawn. The water temperature had just just hit sixty degrees during practice, and the last day of practice, the spinnerbait bite was on. I mean, it was like easy. You catch as many as you want out of like willows and buckbrush with spinnerbait. And the first day of the tournament, there was no front or anything. Nothing seemed to have changed. And we're out there and we're fishing for five minutes. Five minutes we're fishing. And Cochran goes, something's wrong. This isn't working anymore. Hmm. We're there for five minutes. Five minutes later, he's uh, putting his spinnerbait back in the rod box and pulling out a wacky worm. And we ended up catching... Um, like 60, 80 fish on a wacky worm. And, uh, but they weren't the right fish because, um, that's, uh, I think a guy Ecker won that tournament on a, a red, um, rattle trap. So then the second day, and you'd always flip with the, you'd always end up with getting the guys in the boat in front of you or behind you. You'd get one of them the first, the next, second day, and the other one the third day. Right. So you kind of so knew who you were going to, yeah. Yeah, so the second day, I, uh, I, whoever I drew, me and George were both in the 30s, maybe. And, and, you know, we both had decent mediocre. catches. Yeah. yeah, mediocre catches, mediocre middle of the money. I think my second day partner um, was uh, indifferent or whatever, you know. <laughs> Because I think I he had I, a bad first day, so he's like, whatever yeah, you want. Yeah, whatever. So I um so I go out the second day and I wait in another limit about the same as the first day and stayed around where I was. And George only weighed in four fish. It's like, hmm, that's odd. But the second day they got tougher to catch. You had to like dead stick. I was whacking worm in a cream worm. This is pre-Senko, you know. This is 10 years before Senko came out. And you had to let it sit there a long time, but we'd caught so many the day before. I, I, there were fresh fish because we'd fished nothing but his fish. I went up to my fish, and it's like I knew just you could look across these buck brush. And, oh, there's one there. There's one there. You throw it in there. You sit there and wait for them to eat. So then the third day, I pulled George's second day partner, and uh, and I tell the guy, um, it's like yeah, we you know he was all he's out there. He's like freaking two hundredth place, and he's there was quarter in his hand. I said, listen, buddy, you let me start on my fish. We can use your boat. Okay. So I, we take his boat. We go to my fish. It takes me like two hours to catch a limit. And this guy's like practically shaking, you know? Oh, and I tell him to bring a spinner rod. He says, oh, I don't even own a spinner rod. <laughs> These guys practically shaking. So it's like, we're two hours in. I have a limit. I'm in the money. I know I'm not going to win. I'm just catching average fish. I said, listen, there's something you want to do. We'll go ahead. Go do it. <laughs> I'm fine. And and he's trying to throw a spinnerbait still. <laughs> so that's the difference between a great angler, Cochran, knew in five minutes that that wasn't the thing to do anymore. And yes, this three days in, still throwing the spinnerbait. <laughs> three days in. <laughs> and I, I, I could, I, um, after a while, he figured out why I was catching, his, ca catching the fish and he'd throw his spinnerbait like 20 times and, 
he'd move on and I'd, I'd ask him if he was done and he'd grunt and I'd throw my freaking wacky worm over there and catch the fish all day long. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, but the boat, yeah, I never really had a big issue with. No, but like, so when, when you drew things. George Cochran, right, yep. you started on his fish, you're catching them. Did you take the front at any point? No. Or because no. you guys were both catching them. Yeah. Yeah. But like I, you had the you had the option, right, to take the trolling motor and go yeah, your yeah, fish the halfway. Yeah. yeah, the option. You know what? Um, I got really good strat strategy wise. I take you haven't fished a lot of draw tournaments. No, I, actually I did a lot. because uh, yeah. our, our state tournaments were draw up until okay. 2016. And then obviously all the regionals that I made up until 2016, which was quite a few, those were all draw. Uh, yeah, so there, yeah. there's a lot of strategy that goes into it. So I'm just yeah. curious at the at the tour level, invitational level, how much of that, how that went. Well, if like okay, I drew. Um, I got on the TV show. If you look up, uh, Kerr Lake. Um, oh, jeez, Lynn Dollar. Oh, let me look. What year it is? Yeah, you look at a dollar thing. I could find out on the wall there. Uh, nope, that was seventh. That wasn't the one. <laughs> What year is that? Oh, 94. 94, I drew out Zell Rowland the la the third day. And uh, he walked up to me and says, you're riding. And, he, and that was because he was uh, in third place going into the tournament, and I, going into the last day, and I was in 40th. And uh, if you drew somebody up in the top 10 and you weren't like 11th place, you just deferred to them. That Absolutely. was just the thing, the proper thing to do. And I, I – Stayed in the money. I moved up a little bit. I got on the TV show, Lynn Dollar there, <laughs> when I caught a big fish. Uh, Zell lent me a popper, which uh, I wish I got to keep because the thing worked better than any popper I've ever thrown before or since. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but uh, you know, but there was, there was unwritten rules. Now, as far as other draw tournaments, my strategy, my you go away or something? Oh, there you go. You're showing me. Cool. This guy? <laughs> yeah, there I am. Yeah, there I am. Zell is not happy right now. Yep. Yeah, you usually try to pick the other your fish up for each other. It looks like he's trying to throw it off there for a second. <laughs> well, you, you know what? I he what would. The thing is, pros aren't used to landing other people's fish. They're not very good at it. Oh, back then they would. Yeah. Oh, that's. It was pretty early in the no net time, and it was. Yeah. That was a whole. You know, a whole nightmare in itself. <laughs> none of us knew how to land them that good back then. Um, none of, but as far as other draw tournaments, my practice was always to, um, well, at the local level, I did well enough that very seldom right. anybody. So like at the state level, like me, right? Like once you get two, three divisionals under your belt, yeah, like draw Ed or they draw Rich and they're like, well, yeah, where are we going? Like, what's, uh, what are you going to show me? Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. It's, uh, well, I just found the best practice is if there was a guy that wanted, uh, it was obvious that he wanted to go as fish, give him the morning. Mm -hmm. You give him the morning because two things are going to happen. One thing is he his stuff isn't any good and he's going to give up in two hours and you're going to get yep. six. The other or thing you're is you're going to catch him off his spot and then you don't have to touch yours. Yeah. I've had guy. I drew a guy someplace once that, uh, we're about an hour and a half in, and he tells me that you know we can go to your fish, and it's like no, we not, no, we can't. 
<laughs> this is better than anything I got. We're staying here. You're like, I'll, I'll go pre-fishing if you want me to just like go practice. I'll use the rest of the day to go practice. But yeah, we're not I, going told, to I told them we're, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> And stuff and stuff, but uh, yeah, it's I like I like the draw format pretty well. I mean, once in a while you you have a you know only only one time I ever remember that it really hurt me because a guy insisted he wanted half his time and uh and I had uh, a real good fish and uh, they were like an hour run and you know <laughs> in the tidal water like. A, when they were going to hit, it was like the middle of the day. It was like, so he was, he was yeah. adamant he needed to go there, even though it was going to be the wrong tide. When he well, he, no, he was adamant that he wanted half his day, even sure. though, <laughs> and so I just couldn't go to, 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 to my, you know, where I wanted. Right, you, to you, do, you didn't have time to like, yeah, fish your fish and run because, yeah. Yeah, the wrong direction. Yeah. He was going the wrong direction and it wasn't give you enough time. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did okay in the tournament, but I went the next day and caught like 24 pounders off the place. So <laughs> but uh, yeah. No, it, it affects the way you practice. I mean, like these multi-day tournaments, these regionals and, and state yeah. tournaments, when you know it's a draw tournament and some lakes it doesn't matter, right? Like some yeah. of these, like if you're fishing candlewood, you can run back and forth across the lake 10 times during the oh, yeah, yeah. But let's say you're on Champlain, right? You almost yep. have to practice tie in the upper lake both because you don't know where your partner is going to want to go. And if he's adamant, he wants to go to tie, right. You almost have to have fish down there that you can go to. I mean, Oh right? no, if, if it's a draw tournament, you're entitled to half the day from where the tournament launches out of. I know, but like, so if you don't want to go to tie, you don't go to tie. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like you have to, you kind of have to practice in mind with flexibility, right? You can't yeah. be so locked yeah. in. Like I'm only going here because if he wants to go there, then you both end up driving two hours and neither one of you yeah. fishes at all. Right. So it's like, Oh yeah. It's a, it's a whole. Yeah. I've never actually had that happen, but yeah. right. But in theory, uh, in theory at the, at the yeah. regional level, it was definitely much more at the state tournament. I could get away with more based on reputation yeah. and, and performance, but at, you, when you start drawing guys from other states, like when we draw guys from Wisconsin, it was very cutthroat between Minnesota and Wisconsin. Like, oh, yeah, you could be absolutely hammering them, yeah. and you could be doing really well in the tournament. And that whole team rivalry, they're like, I'm taking my four hours, regardless of who you are, what you're doing, like to the minute. Like, he's like, You got seven minutes left, and I need to be, yeah, you know, that's why I was giving the like, I was giving the morning. I've never had any, I've never had anybody hold me away from fish for. For the full four hours of if they didn't have anything. Right. But I'm just the other thing is is I um I'm no good at fishing early in the morning. <laughs> I, I'm a flipper. Uh, I um a lot of a lot of my uh I don't go fishing early in the morning. Like uh I worked to the, until sure. COVID hit, I was working corrections, I'd be four on and two off, so I'd work during mm -hmm. the week be off during the week a lot. And I wouldn't go fish until my wife left for work, you know. Sure. So I have no idea how to catch a fish before nine o'clock in the morning, anyway. So. <laughs> getting up at the, getting up before the sunrise is over overrated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the one. That's the biggest, the best thing that that block had ever said was, uh, he said, "What's wrong with tournaments?" He said they start too early. Like, well, you like the? I feel like the BPT. They do some late starts. Like yeah. Sometimes they, start at ten. Since uh, since our our club is uh, five alive, I tell our tournament director we should 
change the name to nine to five and fish those hours. That, this TB, that I fish a TBF team circuit here and they, they never start before seven. Yeah. Um, uh, well, and the old E fifties, didn't they start at like, they went from like 10 to six. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. would have been, you would have been dominant in the E fifties, Ed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the guy, the, the real flippers were around those days. Sure. That's, that's one thing when you fish, uh, you, see guys that have similar philosophies to how you fish during tournaments and then some guys you never see like uh i i know where biff and brower fished a lot of times because uh -huh. <laughs> i'd see them a lot right and, uh, and i don't think you know i don't think i ever saw clun fishing i don't remember some guy it's just funny you just end up with being around the same guys in every tournament when you fish those big tournaments or anyway. And that happens at the local level too, right? Yeah, local like, level but, too. Yeah. You know, you got those guys like uh like back when Josh Douglas, Elite Series Anger, we used to fish the weekend series and we were I wouldn't see him a lot in practice, but sure as heck during the tournament, we'd be like trying to be fighting over the same stretches all the time because we just we fished the same, like we looked at the water the same. Like Yeah. The funny thing is these days, uh I've uh well my I've run an 18 foot 150 boat from uh, 1984 to, to, pre to present. And um, now that the standard tournament rig is, you know, 21 foot 250, I don't seem to see as many people. Sure. <laughs> there people. You went from being the standard to the, the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and guys just don't fish shallow effectively anymore hmm. that much. It's it's not. I mean, you fish in the Mississippi River. There's, I'm sure, guys. Yeah. Or, uh, but uh, yeah. Just, I mean, I fished when I fished a big tournament on Lake Apacon, 2700 acre acre Lake Apacon in New Jersey. I never fished near another boat. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> how can you not fish near anybody in 2700? It's but, uh, you know, people don't, uh, the, the shallow water fishing's becoming like a lost art, I think. And, and I, I don't know. I mean, guys get, there's some guys that are real successful. The live scope has opened up. It's real effective to fish offshore. But over the years, I've seen a lot of some, it seems like any time a hot offshore thing comes along, it's good for just a little while right and, you know it seems to you're you're too exposed out there you, everybody everybody can see what you're doing <laughs> you're fishing down the bank somebody sees you you know on a bank and you're fish you're fished five miles of bank this day on that day uh they don't know what 500 stretching went down on <laughs> yeah you know uh, you know they don't know that that hundred feet they saw you on might have been just between the fish you, know? you might have just been eating a sandwich to the next little stretch <laughs> yeah yeah right, babe. It's, you were just on a buzz bait trying to get to the next clump or the, the next, yeah yeah because you know. i there's a lot of electric motor only lakes in the area i live like right in the summer you know fishing for pleasure i don't want to be around jet skis i spend a lot of time fish just about every lake in this area that's electric only has a ramp and they don't 
allow you to have the motor on the boat. You just can't mm-hmm. use it. So, yep. And then once you do a lot of electric motor fishing, you uh, find out just how many fish you catch on nothing. Right. Just <laughs> between throwing a swim jig or bug bait. Yeah, between spots yeah. or yeah. Yeah, you just fish what's uh, appropriate for the the cover. I mean, I, I've seen even some of these studies that they tracking fish how uh, you know a lot of a lot of fish are on like a single piece of cover on a flat, not near any kind of depth change, you know. Mm-hmm. Which would make the three sixty nice if it didn't pick up all the weeds. Yeah. <laughs> any more questions? Aaron says, uh, says Bill Alexander says hi. Oh, oh, Billy's. A, I was on a bunch of state teams with him. He's a, he's a nice. great. You know who he is? Uh. Doesn't ring a bell for me, but I'm I don't I'm not up for the yeah, area. So yeah, he uh when Roland won the the tournament on the Connecticut River, the Pro Am bass tournament, he won the amateur division. Mm. He was on a bunch of state teams, I believe. I think he's been to the national championship. He makes um he makes a great hair jig, uh MTO Bates. Okay. Makes a great hair like jig. Like the like the smally little tiny hair jig or the big yeah, fluffy. Yeah. Yeah. The, not not the uh structure, not the basically striper. I think he must if he's on there, tell him to put up his uh I, I hear he's or um he's up on like Oneida Lake and I think he's opening a sports shop up there. Hmm. And I believe he still makes these uh the the hair jigs. He fishes a lot different than me. He fishes real. Blackrock says he's the mutant flea guy. Ties up a little mutant flea jig. Yeah, yeah. He makes a good jig. Aaron says he holds the New York record for most state teams. Oh, he very well probably does. <laughs> yeah, I think he qualified. Um, what's to say? Like uh, the Terry Batiste says, "Good to see oh. you, Ed." Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I've been. Uh, He's got uh, I, bass fishing archives. Yep. Oh yeah, I saw archives. you. You had him on just recently. Yep. Yep. That was cool. That's a the stories about you know those records is fascinating. I'm surprised they don't have more subscribers. I'm sure they will in time. So. It's all about the. I told them they got great content. It's all about the packaging. They just need to fine tune their thumbnails and titles. And that's yeah. what will drive the traffic. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. They um, they just gotta you know do like uh do like block it and put something controversial up all the time. <laughs> I told him you gotta like you gotta study guys like block it and bass fishing head HQ, but then you have to do it in a way that you're comfortable and make it your own. Yeah, right? like yeah. something that you can. I mean, I'm not saying you have to be as clickbaity as Randy Blockett and some of these other people, but you have to do it in a way that gets people, you have to get, you got to stop the scroll is what I say. Like people yeah. are just going through YouTube. You got to get them to look at it. And yep. then, right. So it's like, I know people say they hate clickbait, but the people that say they hate clickbait are the ones scrolling by your just, yeah, yeah. you know, mundane titles and thumbnails. So, uh, what, what do you think of this, um, uh, selling waypoints thing? The, oh yeah. The, the fishingtips.com. Yeah. So I've had Austin on, uh, okay. Uh, I had him on before when he was teasing it, and then I had him on afterwards. I think it's an interesting concept. I signed up for it. I put a pond tip out there from Indiana. Okay. I don't know. I've I, 
I definitely could make listings, but I just don't know. I don't know. I'm in the middle somewhere. I, I totally like when I hear Austin talk about it, I totally get it. And it makes sense, especially for him. Right. Like, yeah, it, 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 but I don't know if I'm comfortable selling my tournament, even though I put them out there in my, I mean, I don't hide much on my YouTube videos. Like yeah, I'm very yeah. transparent about where I'm fishing, how I'm fishing in tournaments. And I know that's probably affected me. I've seen like areas of lakes that where I've done really well on stretches. Now those stretches of lakes aren't as good as they used to be. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. And I've had to like readapt and do things. Um, so I don't know if it's something that I would do, but I, I'm not against people that are for it. And I also am not against people for the most part that want to do it for the right reasons. I don't think, I, I don't think I'm in support of like tournament anglers buying stuff off to use in tournaments. Yeah. But it, it, if it's, if it's a dad taking his kid out or his dad out and they just want a shortcut and get to success so they can have a good time. I can totally get on board with that. Right. It's not that much different than hiring a guide. I also don't think it's okay to hire guides going to tournaments. Right. So it's that same mentality. I think in fun fishing and recreational fishing, I think it's good. I don't like to see it in tournament fishing. Maybe that's a good way to look at it for me. Yeah. Yeah. I signed up for myself and I have one tip up and it's, uh, it's uh, native brook trout fly fishing. Because, because I actually I, I hadn't trout fished. I'm like trout central here. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, about thirty miles from like Junction Pool and these famous Lee Wolf spots and stuff. And and um, I used to ice fish in the winter, and uh, we just don't get safe ice anymore. So right. I started fooling. You open, you can open water fish these little streams all winter, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I started winter, and. Uh, the toughest thing is it finding out how to access this stuff and what's worth the going to. And uh, so that's why I put, I think, um, I think it'll sell. T- it's mostly marketing. It'll sell towards tournament anglers that are looking for a shortcut and shortcuts never work. And if you gotta, if that's what you gotta do, it's, <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not going to be successful, but uh, I think um for bank anglers, I I find bank anglers are very secretive, and uh, yeah, and probably more so than boat anglers. Honestly, they are, they are. So, uh, so I'm going to put some more bank type and small lake, small water stuff up on it, and see if I I wish their minimum was lower. I don't know that uh, that information is worth twenty five dollars to somebody. I thought it was only. I thought the one I posted was only ten. Yeah, but I think they upped the minimum to twenty five. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, I would I would put a at ten dollars I'd put up you know a basic tip on every freaking pond around here because you know, sure. <laughs> it's uh not uh in every little stream and things like that and that, and that makes sense right like I mean you got a single mom single dad a high school kid like ten dollars help them understand where they can go catch fish like that's oh yeah I don't know. but I probably I mean, would do that for free honestly like. Yeah. <laughs> If if some kid slid into my IG Instagram and's like, "Hey, I, I know you live around here. Where where can I go catch?" I would tell him. I, I wouldn't charge him ten. But you know what I mean. So, oh yeah, you do. I'd absolutely do it for free too. But yeah. somebody that's just searching the the internet right. for something that doesn't know you, you can't do for free. There's a little um. There's this uh. This one creek. This one creek that we fish in the winter. It took me three years to figure out how how to get. To where it was worth fishing, right? <laughs> so, uh, 
and then actually I contacted somebody that um, had uh, posted some um, pictures on uh, oh fish brain I think. Sure. It's like it's like I see I heard this thing had fish in it and bike it and he says oh yeah you you park in this lot and then you because where you where the access in the road it's just a little tiny creek and it's spread out to a marsh it's you know a creek that would be within the 10 foot banks it's 100 feet wide there because it's just a big marsh so you gotta park there and you gotta walk down through the woods until you, it becomes a creek again and that's where you catch them you know right. but i'd hike three or four places back into the woods of this thing and never found anything worth fishing and uh once uh once somebody told me what to do yeah went down there and caught a bunch of little you know native brook trout in february when you're not sure. gonna be catching a bass or <laughs> and it's a uh, it's it's good exercise to go walk around uh, i don't mind walking around the woods in the winter we got a lot of ticks around here and bears yeah. and they're hibernating <laughs> that's not really you know january february that's not really an issue so uh but i know that was a controversial topic i figure bring it up for a second so you're signed up too so i bet you there's a lot more contributors and customers <laughs> Yeah, I signed up and I, I just don't, I haven't really been back on it since then. I, I, I've, I've paused and thought about some of my fishing trips out there. I mean, this year, and I was like, do I want to make a tip? And I keep landing on, I don't want to make a tip and I don't want to like, I don't know. Yeah. I just wish I had more time. I want to, I, I, I'm intending to put a bunch of tips about, about non-tournament type waters. There's a, a bunch of little lakes around here and I, and my favorite lake always the next one I'm going to fish. I've been and I've been trying to fish a lot of new waters this year. Um, I fished a new section of the Mississippi River I've never been on. I've fished like three or four new lakes for the first time this year, and you know, and I, and I guess I put up an Omni report, which is more generic, right? Like, hey, like this was the, the, the you know, it's not giving away points, you know, GPS points, but it's telling like what was the pattern, what was the water temp, you know, what were you know, the lures. So, yeah, bank and small border anglers don't have GPS. Right. They want to know. It's like you can launch, you know, like a, a small lake around. Some of these lakes you can launch your bass boat, and some of them are only suitable for kayaks. Right. It's a, that's a valuable thing to know up front, you know. And uh, and when you're talking about swamp fishing, where you're frog fishing, that's not gee, that's not a lot of GPS points, not on a smaller water. I mean. It's, and all like that but that's a i don't know it's one of those there's a lot oh so what do you think about keith's thing poche yeah i mean in general i have no issue with the way that keith approaches like i like the idea of a small boat i like the idea of getting into sneaky places and things like that what i don't like about keith is he's constantly living in the gray area right like he's constantly uh, you know, like he could have just called the tournament director before he jumped that dam, you know, like, I, I don't know, like, and then it sounds like there's a bunch of stuff being talked about and videos surfacing from the Sabine with him casting over a fence that had a no fishing sign on it. So I like, I, for the most part, I like the idea of like jumping beaver dams, small boat, like doing stuff and going the extra mile. But on the flip side, I feel like Keith lives in this, like, little too far gray area where he's like almost pushing the rules a little too far and to some degree i think he's almost doing it to live in the controversy and get the limelight so 
like I'm 90% on board with Keith Poche, but 10% of me thinks he's kind of almost motivated for the wrong reasons and taking it a little, like just one step too far in the gray area. I don't yeah, know. That might be, I, I just, uh, a lot of the comments I've seen about it. I don't, um, I'm surprised. I don't think a lot of people have uh, done anything even remotely like the thing on the red river. Um, he did a video about how him, you know, going into that place they went on the Red River. Like to me, that wasn't. Yeah. Tough. So, but like what he showed in the the video, but there was another section from what I understand where he pre-laid a rope. Yeah. Oh. And then okay. he was using the winch yeah. for that section, which he didn't show in his video. Which then they now changed the rules in the opens to clearly make that not. That yeah. No, you definitely can't winch. But like some of the stuff, I just think you know from the comments that a lot of people haven't even done anything remotely. Like, I mean, I've definitely like scraped my cowling. I've definitely pulled the drain plug in my old boat, taken my windshields off to get under culverts and think. You know what I mean? Like, laid oh, down we, and pulled my bass boat into. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. or ran extremely shallow, like water you couldn't idle through that you had oh, to yeah, run. Yeah. I mean, I mean like blown it? sandbars. and I mean, I've definitely done yeah. stuff like that in the Mississippi River. Yeah, that was a particular thing. Like, uh, I saw um, Swindle saying, oh, if the, the boat can't float. I, <laughs> you know, you you know as well as I that uh, a boat will run a lot less water than it'll float in. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, if, if the boat's got to float, that like eliminates half the tidal water. <laughs> You can pull right. the sandbars and all like that, and uh, I um I don't think a lot a lot of people know what I think. Part of uh I think it was more common in the past that guys would uh do more extreme things because the boats were smaller, lighter, and less expensive. Mm -hmm. Your standard glass boat, because you, you know in '93 uh that um Brower, Parker. And Grigsby all jumped an earthen dam that was bigger than what Poche went over hmm. with with a Ranger boat. Because, uh, yeah, the 93 Super Bass tournament on the Illinois River. Google it and then read into yeah. what happened. <laughs> so if uh, so if you couldn't go over dry land, it would, they would have made it against the rules at that point. Right. Well, and I guess, I mean, like, <laughs> to some degree, it's not fair to, like, the rules probably have morphed since 1993 in the yeah. you know what i mean well, so like the private water came from out of that because they were doing it into a private mm -hmm. um private water and that which is I crazy mean, how much private water like how much the all these duck hunting sloughs got like the Illinois river used to be a really good fishery until they basically all these guys diked off their own ponds yeah you know? It's yeah, crazy. Cool. Like you look at google maps on how much water is adjacent to the river that you can't yeah. get into that's just yeah, plenty. Yeah, and it was um. Oh, I I have kind of a semi interesting story, which is sure. funny. So now we got the Google Earth, which is that's one thing like it's fun. valuable tools. <laughs> I don't fish any place before I look at the Google at Google Earth. Look at the you can learn so much just looking at you know saves you gas, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So I was on the um fishing a club tournament on Delaware river and um, uh, in the fall, I guess it was. And there was this uh, 
little pond off the back of this creek that I'd uh, fished uh, in a federation tournament 30 years ago. And uh, I um, and I run up this creek and I'm going up and up and up and it's like finally a stop and it's like I uh, I pull up my phone and put on Google Earth because it's like I must have passed it or something and it was still another mile up. So somehow I got to this pond off a road map 30 years ago because there was no there was no map chip there was no freaking right <laughs> Google Earth. I, I saw this pond on a road map and, and got to it, you know, in the nineties. And I had trouble getting into it with uh, the more modern equipment of today. So, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's pretty amazing what the, what we found back there and just how much easier the stuff is today. The first time um, it was actually the, um, one of the, the first time I ever used a, before you could just look up Google Earth, uh, you could get those satellite maps off a terror server. Right. And when I made a national championship on the Red River in uh, maybe it's 2001, 2002, something like that. I think it's about 2002. We tore the boats up pretty good in that. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I printed out the whole, I went on a terror server and printed out the whole place. And it, that Red River is like real murky and, every place the fish were was the clear water, which is just looks black on a satellite map and it yeah. sticks out like a sore thumb and, and stuff. So that's a, that's a real, a real good tool. And it just amazes me how we, what, where, where we went on, um, you know, roadmaps and, uh, and compasses back in, with no cell phone. It's like, I, I know. Uh, I actually spent some time this weekend looking at stuff, and it, and I found some areas that looked like they had dark water on the yeah. river. And I, I got close to it, and I, I don't know. Like I almost wish I had a ten foot, or eight foot kayak strapped to the back of my Camus, so yeah. I could have just wrapped her down and then like went into yeah. this pond and checked it out. This because like like because like could have I blown in there probably, but I didn't know if I'd be blown into like six inches of water or six feet of water. You know what I mean? Like. Oh, yeah. And if I could have just had a kayak, I could have just like, and then I was like, all right, it's worth trying. Like, you know, but yeah, that's what Shaw told me about that. Um, that super bass tournament, the Illinois tournament, that was the scariest thing. Whether, whether you get back out after you ran this ranger boat over the top of a, cause it, that was like a showcase tournament. So, right. you know, you think, uh, Hank Parker, who was, I, th I think that super bad, I think it was an invitation tournament was Pat. Past the time he'd retire, so you think Hank Parker? The, it was uh, like the all. They call it the All Star or the Super yeah, Star yeah. or the Super yeah. Bass or super something. Bass. Yeah. Yep, it was Super Bass. And uh, so Hank Parker, the uh, you know NASCAR driver, wasn't going to take somebody else's boat and <laughs> and you know jump jump over something like the movies. <laughs> it's a uh, it's pretty amazing what what Ranger did back there with those. Uh, even the one that Brian won on the um, the Arkansas River, you could tell who was uh, there was this this coal I think coal pile it was like a strip pit that most of the guys were fishing in, and uh, I started in there each day, but I had another spot that I would leave and go. But um, it was like 
a back channel. It was off a back channel off the river. And basically you had to run this channel and like take a hard turn and jump over the sandbar to get into freaking, uh, into this pit. And, uh, you go to the boatyard and you could see how much paint was on the lower unit. You could tell if, if people were catching any fish or not. Because <laughs> any boat that wasn't that had any paint left on the lower unit, the guy wasn't catching any fish. And by the end of the tournament, like two thirds of the boats were were fishing. Probably half the field was fishing in that uh, backwater that Brian won that yeah. thing in. And paint's cheap, and the, right? Yeah. And the one day, the one guy was, oh, I think I delaminated a the hull. They had the um, depth finder glassed into the hull and uh, my depth finder didn't work after practice at all um, <laughs> hmm. in that thing And um, but the one day there was a guy that didn't make it and he was stuck in these boats that were freaking <laughs> going right by him just jumping oh, yeah. over yeah you stop you're done <laughs> there was a boat stuck in the freaking mouth of it and we're all like and, and then a couple guys figure out you actually get in it from the other side so we're coming from both directions <laughs> It was, uh, yeah, we had we had a good time. <laughs> so, uh, but um, yeah, I, I fished a, a tournament on the Mississippi River out of Pool Four, and they they always almost always take off the bottom of the pool, which is Wabasha Mississippi yep. River. But they had a tournament that took out of the top in Red Wing, just above what they call the Wisconsin Channel, and it was kind of a low water spring, and the sandbars had shifted in that channel and. It was kind of a foggy morning, but not so foggy. They didn't let us go. And most of the people just went left. They started blowing down. The, well, I think a lot of people were following other people because they were oh, yeah. the constant channel, but they didn't really know what they were doing. Yep. And the sandbar went across almost the whole thing, <clears throat> except for like a boat and a half width on the left and a boat and a half width on the right. And so some people didn't realize that. And all of a sudden people just started piling up on the sandbar left and right in the center of the river. And it was just Aww. like, also then every, well, I think one person, what happened was somebody got nervous and shut down instead of blowing it. And then somebody had to peel off. Right. And then like, all of a sudden mm -hmm. there's just boats piled up on it, like sitting like, you know, out of 45, <laughs> which knows you're like, yeah. The, the like just joys of mayhem. Rivers. And by the time I got there, like boat 30, people were slowing down enough that like the gig was up and there was six boats on the sand already. And it was just like, <coughs> but those are the memorable ones. Yeah. yeah. That was actually Josh Douglas's uh, first weekend series win his first big win ever. Oh, wow. kind of got him started. Yeah. Yeah. You always know the guys from your area. It's always a big thing. Oh, well, there are, there are more questions. It's, well, they, you run these things. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Usually, until we feel like we're done, I don't know. There was, I did see. Uh, uh, Critical Gravy said, "Please do a part two. This is gold. Thanks for the stream." Oh, uh, cool. <laughs> uh, so I think people are enjoying Thanks. it. Um, what What are your thoughts on uh, Cayuga and MLF fishing there during the catch and release? You You think that's a good idea? Spawn like what's? I I don't think it's a great idea. I don't like just bed fishing or fishing during the catch and release or. Um, well, it's. It used to be New York. You couldn't. You weren't even supposed to fish out of season, and then right. they made it a catch and release season. Now, um, New Jersey has a catch and release season just like that, and Pennsylvania has a catch and release season. So they all have catch and release seasons now. But Pennsylvania doesn't allow paper tournaments, so you mm -hmm. can't even have a tournament during the during the off season. And 
I don't know. I, I watched a little bit today. The fishing's fantastic. I knew it was going to be fantastic. But it's it's like you got a bunch of pros going out there fishing what's essentially out of season for the easiest fish in the world to catch. I don't yeah. I I much I'd rather see him on the Delaware River. <laughs> you know, I mean, to me they the promoters like these big big weight tournaments and uh your your average guy has to like um so when I f- fished the tournament on Philly, we're on the bus and uh and um oh, who was it? One of the pros, probably better off not naming his name, said, if I lived here, I wouldn't fish here. I would drive, I would go to Lake Erie. Well, <laughs> Lake Erie's three hours away. If you, if you, you know, worked uh, at the. Yeah, fish after work, you only got. Uh, the supermarket in Philadelphia, you're not going to, to Lake Erie to fish. You're fishing the Ohio River. That's what you got to fish. That's. Most people don't have fantastic fishing, and you know I don't think the pros necessarily need to go to the best bodies of water in the world every time, and to go to the best body of the world, essentially out of season to catch the easiest fish you could possibly catch. Uh, you know I don't doesn't doesn't I don't like it that much. I have no I I love to fish for a fish on a bed. I don't have I don't think it's a any real issue, you know, I just to to potentially take the best fishermen in the world and have them try to catch naive smallmouth in the north <laughs> during the spawn out of season yeah. doesn't seem to be much of a just just you know, to put up big numbers, right? Just to yeah, oh, DVD yeah. caught twenty eight pounds, right? But yeah, yeah, which is actually the team tournaments up there. This you know thirties, they have paper, yeah thirties. Yeah, none of them are in the 30s. What's wrong with those guys? <laughs> Although Cayuga's a um, – the smallmouth used to – I don't know if it – I've fished it quite a bit over the years, and it's not um, – doesn't have that good a smallmouth population, but the gobies got in there now, so they got they grew right. monstrous. And the only time you can really make that good a catch – dependently catch good catches of smallmouth is while they're spawning. Although – Dustin Cannell won, was it last year or the year before on Smallies? So, yeah, yeah. And well, that's it's changed all those, and that's much more like what Cannell did last year or two years ago, fishing in early summer, much more impressive than what they're doing. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, no, Cannell is really that was really impressive what he did up there. And when the body of water is that good, now if they want to fish for uh. For spawning smallmouth uh, like that, that's maybe when they should go to the Ohio River so somebody catches something. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, I kind of like, I, mean, I, like this. I mean, I enjoyed the Sabine. I thought that was interesting. I actually, yeah. like, I, I think the Sabine will be much more interesting for me, more interesting to watch than the St. Lawrence River is going to be in a couple weeks. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. But other people don't feel that. Some people like the the shock and awe and want to see the fish catches. Like every everybody's different. But um. yeah, yeah, and bass aren't that easy to catch. I mean, well, I don't know. You live pretty far north, where they're fishing real good around you. Yeah, yeah, the fishing in uh, northeast Pennsylvania and uh, 
you know, northern New Jersey, the fishing ain't that great. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I got, my fishing is more like upstate New York. I got, yeah, I have real good fishing three, four hours away. I yeah. got, yeah, that upstate. No, but I mean, we do have like, I mean, we have like sections of the Mississippi River here and some of our metro lakes being right next to Minneapolis, they get pounded. Like Minnetonka can be very, very challenging. I mean, it's a very good lake, but it can be very challenging because those fish are very pressured. So we have a mix. Like if, if I want to drive half an hour, hour, I can be in like really stupid fish, catch them really good. And then I can also be in like some pretty high pressured situations. So it's a, yeah. it's a pretty good mix. Yeah. But yeah, to send, you know, the best fishermen to the best, waters at the easiest time it's not yeah. <laughs> that interesting to watch for for me but, uh, and i'm also afraid that uh you know if they they overdo that they might change the rules again i had some people in my in my it's like can i talked about it in my fantasy video for the bpt and there's some people from new york saying that like the what do you, what do you call your new york dmc or what dc or DC. whatever the yeah yeah that they didn't allow a permit. It was just the township that brought them in. And so now the DEC is pissed and they're considering changing some of the rules so that that can't happen again. Yeah. See, that's just what I was worried about. <laughs> yeah. Which means like, what if they screw it up for you guys now? And then they like mess with you. Right. And like, yeah. Yeah. Cause I know they have some kayak tournaments, some clubs fish there. This mm-hmm. time of year. But, uh, Bob wants to know if you know who Mark Burgess is. Oh, absolutely. He's uh, from he's New England. I'm not sure which state up there. He's uh, he's got to be. He's fishing this year. I I saw his name on the list there mm-hmm. on the, the Potomac River. I'm sure he's got 20 state teams or something. It when you went to those divisionals, there was one or two guys from every state that were just always there, and he's one of them. He's a real good fisherman. He's a good guy too. I, I, I know who he is. Yep. Very cool. I, I see uh, that uh, Dave Andrews is there too, and I, I think Dave Andrews might have made a classic through the federation. I'm not a hundred percent sure. If he hasn't, he will because he's uh, probably the best fisherman in New Hampshire, unless if that's where Mark Burgess is, because they're kind of on the same caliber. Hey, Gabe. Moving nice new house. <laughs> he's, a, he's a buddy down in Illinois, Missouri, or he's moving a new house, cutting into his fishing time. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to well, do we're that. creeping on three hours, Dad. I feel like yeah, we covered a lot yeah. of ground. My, my drink's almost done. My bladder is pretty full. So yeah. We're going to have to, to wrap Oops. it up. <laughs> That's tonight. Yeah, I was looking at, I looked at the time, and it went pretty fast. It's almost midnight where you are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's uh, 1148, it says. So I, I really enjoyed it. If anybody came in late, uh, I think covered a lot of ground, a lot of great information. Go back, whether you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, um, catch the replay or listen to it on MP3. Search Hellabass in your favorite MP3 player. Uh, Ed, I totally appreciate it. This was a ton of fun, and uh, it was worth the wait having you on. Okay. Yeah. It was great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um and like I said, check out Ed's Instagram. I think it's Ed Cowan Five, yeah. and uh, check yeah, out some Facebook of his baits. Some of his fishing, you can uh, pick his brain, and yeah. uh, maybe we'll do a watch party. Sometimes I, in my my members only, I'll watch old Lynn Dollar videos and commentate on them. Maybe you'd want to come do that sometime. Oh yeah, that would be cool. Because I, you know what, um, I uh, 
every time they went to the Thousand Islands, I made the uh, climb the big waves into the lake shots because I had the uh, right combination. They because they'd stay at um, they'd sit out there at Cape Vincent waiting for a Johnson powered Ranger to try mm -hmm. to climb out of the <laughs> these big monster waves into the lake. Oh, cool. one more quick story. Sure. So, so I pulled this guy, um, Dwight Shue. He played on the World Football League at right. the Thousand Islands. And we're running towards out of Clayton. We're running towards the lake. And these boats are running the other, <laughs> running back the other way. And he goes, there must be another tournament. I said, no, there's not another tournament. They're turning around. It might be a little rough. <laughs> and we get to that mouth of that river. And this guy's a, an ex-football player. And his eyes were big, big as... <laughs> As moon pies, and uh, we went out, and uh, I didn't break the boat to the third day and not make way in. <laughs> in that one, there's a, a thousand stories about going out on the Great Lakes. That's a crazy place to be. And, yeah, uh, they, they both a, pre pre GPS pre cell phone. <laughs> yeah, I fished a regional out of Escanaba, Michigan. So Big Bay to knock the top, like above Green Bay, the Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and day three, they let us out, and they probably shouldn't have. Um, and I drew a guy from Iowa, and uh, it was in my dad's 19-foot Triton. And uh, I had driven on – I grew up fishing Lake of the Woods walleyes with my dad. So yeah, used to reasonably big water and, like, knew how to, like, handle a boat. And, yeah. And uh, he's like, that was really amazing. You know, like, you're a heck of a boat driver. But he's like, when he got back, he kissed the ground on the dock <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> I, yeah. Oh, trivia question. What was the first uh, first day bass ever canceled? Because you might not realize, but way back they went no matter what. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not I wouldn't know that. No. It was a practice day for the 91 Classic on Chesapeake okay. Bay. Chesapeake? Yeah. Yeah. Because back in the 80s, they, uh, the, the Seneca Lake Tournament among New York guys was legendary because they should never let them go out. Um, the one, um, oh, Paul Elias won. He basically won because he was the only guy catching fish in the south end of the lake and nobody got back. Hmm. <laughs> that ran north. It was, yeah, Seneca Lake's bad. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the day that I'm talking about, though, there was like uh, several boats phoned it in and stayed in like Big Bay and just, they said somebody come go get my trailer. I'm not. I'm not yeah. driving back. And then one of the guys that was staying in my hotel, Ben Petrasky, he had an 18 or 19 foot champion, and he actually sheared the jack plate uh, coming back in. Oh, yeah. And he was lucky that there was a, like a tugboat, like a safety boat that got out to him because, you know, yeah. I sheared the upper, I sheared the upper motor mount bolts at the the third day at the Thousand Islands that year. Sure. Yeah, and I sheared the bolts out the side of the trim pump out there. I uh, didn't run a jack bait because I bent every one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Great Lakes don't bass boats don't, don't belong out there. I wrote those up. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, thanks. Appreciate it, Ed. We'll do this again sometime. As always, here to help you guys catch more big bass and suck less. Yes. Okay. Good night, guys. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As always, thanks to all of you that hung in till the end of this podcast. This has been another episode of Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast Experience. Please consider sharing this with any of your bass and buddies and friends. This is the best way for podcasts to grow is through word of mouth. Also, don't forget to search Hellabass on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, or just about anywhere else so that we can connect in more ways. As always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less.